edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. I'm really like an idiot. I was starting to get excited because Christopher Eubanks took the second set against Stefano Sitsipas. Who, like, I don't hate, but he's just unlikable as a tennis player goes. I mean, he's obviously very good looking and the whole thing. He's just an unlikable dude. He's got a history of, like, bathroom breaks and just getting around whatever the rules are. Maybe he just has to go to the bathroom. No. Uh, and Chris Eubank, no, he takes, like, 15-minute bathroom breaks. Like, oh. he's very clearly manipulated. Like, it's fine. Like, it's all a very gray area, and we talked about that a lot. I'm, he's not a bad guy. He's not Sasha Zverev, who, you know, I would prefer to never see his face again. Um, he's just you know, kind of unlikable. And so the last American playing being Chris Eubanks, I didn't give him much of a chance today. Eubanks is this wild story. I mean, it's crazy. Like, ranked like one, 175 last year. Jeez. He's 6'7". Like, he has the frame. He's not a serve bot. He's not John Isner. He's not terribly boring, although today he's been boring, boring. And he beats Cam Norrie last week, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, is Chris Eubanks threatening to become a thing? And I start to buy in because he wins the second set, and I'm like, oh, man, let's do this. And then he immediately turns around and gets broken. And I'm Stupid. Why be into anything? I did put money on um, I put money on Matteo Berrettini to beat Carlos Alcaraz later today. So. Really? Do you actually think that's going to happen? Yes. But no. no, I'm putting money on it for money, money on it for funsies. Do I think was... it's going to happen? I think there's I think there's a chance of it happening. And at the odds, I think it's worth putting some dollars on. I got basically two to one on Matteo Berrettini, who's one of the great grass court, grass court players of an era, and who is very much in form right now. Whereas Alcaraz has just been a little. So why is he number shaky. one? I don't. Understand. What do you mean? Why is Alcaraz why is, yeah. number one? Well, I'm pretty sure Djokovic is number he's so one. So bad. What are you talking about? He's, he's right so number bad. one. But I don't understand what you mean. But like, who said he was so bad? Well, you're just betting against him. I mean, he's supposed to win. This yes, thing. Matteo Berrettini is one of the great grass court players of an era. Oh, yes, that's the reason why I'm betting on Matteo Berrettini. That's the reason why I'm doing it. But because Alcaraz is Carlos Alcaraz, the odds are in my favor today. I don't know that Matteo Berrettini is going to win. I just think that the odds shape up well for me. So I put some dollars on Berrettini. Also, he's very handsome. He's got that going for him. Okay. Yeah, he's a. Oh my God, he's extraordinarily handsome. Uh, he, dude, he just kicked the s out of Zverev the other day, and it was so joyful. Oh, it made me so happy. Kick the crap out of him. All right, I guess you guys don't want me to talk about tennis for two hours, but I'd prefer it. Coming up on the program today, we are going to talk uh, about the Orioles draft picks. Kyle Glazer, Baseball America, will join us. Also, a little bit later on this hour, Tim Corbin, baseball coach at Vanderbilt, will tell us more about Enrique Bradfield. Later on in the show, uh, our friend Ken Singleton will join us once again. We continue our 40th anniversary celebration of the 1983 World Series champions. And it's a Monday, so Jeremy Kahn will check in with us as well. That's all on the way. Obviously, the good news, the Orioles, man, from where things were just looking a little dicey last week, now all of a sudden they have won five in a row. They're tied in the loss column with the Rays as they hit the All-Star break. They are two games back, technically speaking, because they've played four fewer games. So they all count as a half a game. You understand how that works. And they do control their own destiny, but that is not relevant at this point in the baseball season. It's remarkable. I mean, it really is remarkable. 
it's, I would say, unexpected in context, right? And I think Russell Dorsey kind of made this point. It's unexpected in that you thought the Orioles were going to be good. You didn't expect them to be in this position. And it required, of course, a, a bit of a tailspin from the Rays to close the first half. They did end up getting a win yesterday. But they had to lose seven of eight in order for the Orioles to be fully in this position after their own little dip. But the Orioles bounce back. They survive it. They get out of that funk nicely. They get the absolute best full turn of the rotation of the entire season over the course of the last five games. Now, to be fair, we know the Twins are not a good offensive team. So I'm not sure what to make of, like, Cole Irvin. It's easy for people to say, well, Cole Cole Irvin, two starts, last two starts, you know, he only uh, allowed, like, what, one run the previous start, and then obviously he was really good this time through. He wasn't really good in the start where he allowed one run. He got very lucky. And then the next time, it it would probably be worth pointing out he got a fair amount of luck too. Wait, hang on a second. Let me do my math. No, the catch was on. Which night was Cedric Mullins' catch? That was Friday night. It was Friday night, yes. He got a fair amount of luck on that, but... Still, the totality of it was that he pitched fairly well. Both starts were against a really, really bad offense. Now, why they're so bad, that's a problem for another day, because on paper, they shouldn't have been this bad. Like, there's no reason why the Twins have been this bad of an offense this season. I can't explain it, but they, other than the one night. They had one night where they weren't a terrible offense. It just so happened to be the first night after their closed-door meeting when they were facing the Orioles, which was not preferable. So I'm not going to read too much into it. In the same way that like somebody can say, don't get too low, it's baseball when the Orioles go through a, a funk or they're losing games, I would agree, and I would say back, I'm not going to get too high either. My concerns are still my concerns. My concerns are still that they don't have quite enough pitching in order to be able to do this as far as winning the division is concerned. Now that can change via the trade deadline, but via... The return of Grayson Rodriguez, although don't look now, Grayson Rodriguez has already surpassed his innings from a year ago and is 17 innings away from his career high. Now, I get it. We all assumed that he was going to go past 103 this season, but how much further than that he can go, I'm not sure. So I don't know what the answer is on Grayson Rodriguez. They only let him pitch three innings yesterday. He did give up three walks. I mean, it was... Like, one hit, no runs, you know, like, oh, that's great. They walk three, and you're like, what What? what are you doing, guy? Yeah. Like, we're trying to say that you should be here. What are you doing, guy? Stop walking, everybody. Jesus. Um, that all being said, I still think that Grayson Rodriguez should be here, but I've thought that for some time that I didn't, you know, you guys know how I feel about that. Um I, I, I It can be changed by John Means returning. It can be changed by... You know, maybe a healthy Dylan Tate or a healthy Michael Givens helping out in the bullpen. There's lots of ways that you can go about impacting how much pitching you have. But one really good turn through the rotation is not going to suddenly make me say, well, that solves everything. You hope it helps Kyle Gibson right the ship because that one has been the most concerning of all of them, right? Like the most concerning is, what the F has been going on with Kyle Gibson? Well, Kyle Gibson turns around and gives you a great start. The others, Kyle Bradish has been good all season. Dean Kramer has been inconsistent, but po- one, yeah. post, like, 
you know, early May has been good more often than he's been bad, and you hope that he's sort of settling in. Tyler Wells has been frequently good. He's been overall probably your best starter. You know, I think it's more I think it's closer between he and Bradish than everybody seems to realize that it is. Bradish needs to give you more innings, but that's also been trending in the right direction. Bradish has gone six or more in four of his last five starts. So what was an issue where he was only pitching five innings a start, even that's starting to change and turn a little bit. So that's quite the positive. If Gibson can solidify, that goes a long way because now you're talking about feeling pretty good about at least three of your five starters and maybe four, depending on how you feel about Dean Kramer on a given day. Right now you feel really good about two of your starters. Really good every fifth day you feel good about Wells and Bradish. If you can solidify at least one of those other spots, then you're in better shape. If you can solidify both of them, then you're in really good shape because then all you're looking for is a fifth starter. And, God, who knows? Maybe Cole Irvin can be that guy. I know Stan's a big believer in him. Maybe he can. I I don't know, and I'm definitely not going to overreact to anything he does against the Twins. That's not going to be the case. Yeah, he needs to do it against someone that's not an AL Central team. Um, yeah, I mean, that would be good. That would definitely be a good way to go about proving it, and we'll see. He's definitely going to continue to get the opportunity coming out of the break, which is interesting because then the question becomes, so what are you doing with Grayson Rodriguez? There's a couple of interesting what-are-you-doing questions because it's not just what are you doing with Grayson Rodriguez, it's also what are you doing with the roster spot that you still need to clear. The Orioles, of course, by bringing bringing back Ryan Mountcastle yesterday with the pending deadline... They did what we said they could do, which is just drop a pitcher for a little bit because you were facing the all-star break anyway. If they were in an emergency yesterday, they could have thrown, you know, Bradish or Kramer out there for an inning in order to help them because nobody's got to pitch again until next weekend. So they were able to take advantage of that and manipulate the roster yesterday. And they can probably manipulate the roster through Friday. They might be able to manipulate the roster they might play Friday, Saturday, Sunday next weekend against Miami. Let's see how many pitchers we have to use tonight before we make whatever decision that we're going to make. Straight shoot. For as much as we talk about they're going to have to make the decision before the break, in their minds, they might go into Friday and say, well, we're not going to need all of our pitchers on Friday, so we don't have to make the decision today. And then if they come out of Friday and they didn't have to use anybody all that significantly, they might say, well, we don't have to make it on Saturday either. We still have an overwhelming complement of pitchers available to us. Keep in mind that, uh, and I've got to double-check the schedule, but certainly on the first day out of the All-Star break, you could also turn to, if you, I I don't know how they'll choose to reset their rotation. I don't think they announced that yesterday. But you could, if Cole Irvin is your fifth guy, you could also make Cole Irvin available out of the bullpen the first couple of days and say, if we have to call somebody else up, because you do need a fifth starter, you don't have an off day. If we have to call somebody else up, a la Grayson Rodriguez, we'll do that. We'll have a backup plan worked out in the minors to help us continue to manipulate, manipulate the roster. Elmer Fudd? Is that Elmer Fudd? Did uh, I say it the right yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, that's Elmer yeah, Fudd, right? Yeah. Uh, that's all. No, that's Porky no, Pig. It's Porky Pig. That's yeah. who it is. God, what is wrong yeah, it with is Porky us? Pig. Yeah. Made Porky Pig. <laughs> I just had to make Fudd. sure. The hell just happened there. But they can further manipulate the roster by saying, we don't feel like we need that pitcher until we do. Until we get have a game 
where our starter doesn't give us innings and we've had to spend and we need the pitching help. So for as much as we're going to say they got to make that decision by Friday, they might internally be saying, eh, or Saturday, or Sunday, or Monday, or whenever we have to make it. Like, they're going to have to make it, but they might be saying, why make, in their minds, why make a difficult decision? Because I think we all are kind of, the unspoken part is, at the moment right now, it's it almost has to be Mateo. I get that I would probably argue for Frazier, but... That's $8 million bucks, and the dude has hit 10 home runs this season and has certainly offered you more help of late than, Fra- than Mateo has. I'm down on Frazier. He's been a butcher defensively. I have no idea where his at-bats come from because you can't have him play second base. He's dreadful, and there's, there's no room with all of these outfielders for him to be playing in the outfield. So I'm down on Frazier. But I, dude's got a knack for big clutch hits. And he's hit 10 home runs this season. So I can't ignore that, and I think it makes Mateo the more likely guy on the chopping block. So if the Orioles are saying to themselves internally, either we've got to give up Jorge Mateo. If we, uh, we, the answer is we've got to give up Jorge Mateo altogether. We'd rather wait and make sure. Because if we make the move on Friday, don't need the pitcher on Friday or Saturday, and then on Saturday somebody gets hurt, then we're going to feel really stupid that we gave up on somebody when that roster spot was going to be cleared and we didn't need it. So it won't surprise me at all if there's not a move on Friday, but they continue to try to wait it out and see when they need to make the move. The likelihood of them playing a 14-inning game, that is the the nice advantage that you have these days with the rules in baseball, is that you're not likely to need to empty out everyone the same way that you would have five six years ago we'll see how that plays out good news whatever it is as dramatic as it might be for the Orioles I don't think any of us are going to be all that bothered by it when it's ultimately whatever the decision ultimately ends up being whether it's letting go of Jorge Mateo whether it's letting go of Adam Frazier and I do lean that it's likely to be Mateo I don't think there's going to be any single one of us that's going to find ourselves saying, ah, that you can't do that. Can't do that. All right. Um, today's show is brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. MLB draft got underway last night out in Seattle. Orioles made their first three picks, including in the first round with the 17th pick, Vanderbilt outfielder Enrique Bradfield Jr. Let's find out a little bit more about the Orioles draft picks. Joining us now from Baseball America, he is Mr. Kyle Glazer. Kyle, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's good to catch up. I imagine it's a very early morning for you, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to join you. Uh, I know it was a busy night last night. Kyle, uh, let me start. I think there was a little bit of surprise from people when the Orioles went with Bradfield at 17, kind of given some of the other names that were still on the board there. Where were you with Bradfield? What did you think of him? We can dive into some of the interesting parts about him, but what did you think of the pick when it was made? Yeah, no, I mean, this is right where he was expected to go in kind of this 15 to 20 range. Look, he's a very, very, very talented athlete. Um, he's a top of the scale runner, 
top of the scale defender in center field. He gets on base. Look, he's not going to hit a bunch of home runs, but when you start talking about the middle of the draft, you're, you're looking for more guys who, you know, have a chance to be everyday starters. There's not many stars left to be had, at least in theory. Um, you get a guy like this who's advanced, who has two premium tools. And again, it's not like he's a bad hitter. He makes contact. I thought the pick made a lot of sense, and this is right around the range he was expected to go. So a couple things that jump out. Do you have any the, – the good news is even when his de- average dipped a little bit last year, his on-base percentage was still outstanding, and we know how much that matters to the Orioles. But did it alarm you at all to see the batting average drop 40 points a season ago? It, it definitely – wasn't what you want to see, you know, a guy in college hitting t- under 280. Um, generally speaking, you want to see guys in college hitting over 300. Um, guys hit below that. It, it's a little tough to see it transition to pro ball. But the guys who have made it work are the premium athlete types who, who have, you know, big tools, can play up the middle, and, you know, they're able to buy a little time to develop the bat. Brendan Crawford at UCLA was a great example. He did not mm-hmm. hit for average in college at all. Um you know, and I think with the Orioles, where you kind of believe in it, is the Orioles have done a fantastic job developing hitters and helping guys get better at the plate as pure hitters. You have to remember, Gunnar Henderson was a raw athlete type, and they turned him into a, a really, really premium hitter. So I think the combination of who he is as a player, what he can do in center field that can buy him some time, with the Orioles hitting development, sure. I certainly understand the pick. No, and I think that you know, getting on base and stealing bases, that clearly fits right in with what the Orioles have been attempting to do and sort of taking advantage of the way the rules have changed in baseball. Was there anyone that was sitting there at 17? Look, I, I'll present it this way, Kyle. I think there are a lot of people in Baltimore who wondered if it was finally time for the Orioles to grab a pitcher. And ironically, they ultimately did. We'll talk about it in a second. And it's the first time Mike Elias has been GM. They've taken a pitcher this early in the draft. But there were a lot of people that wondered if it was time for them to take an arm that could be here a little bit quicker and match. Waldrip, whoever it would be, was there anyone that was sitting there that you were saying, you know, this would make sense and this might be a good idea for a franchise that has not put a premium on pitching since Mike Elias has been in charge? I mean, again, you can certainly look at Hershon Waldrop and say you love the stuff. Um, you know, the control has, has been a question with him. And, and look, this is the Orioles' M.O. This is Mike Elias' M.O. You know, he got burned by Mark Appel. He got burned by Forrest Whitley. He got burned by J.P. Bukowskis. Um, he is going to stick with position players at the top of the draft. That's his M.O. Yeah. And I, I don't really think anyone should expect it to change. The way the Astros became a World Series champion is they developed hitters and they traded for veteran pitchers. That's probably where the Orioles are going to go get their pitching. I think expecting them to be aggressive on arms in the draft just doesn't fit with who they have running the show. He is Kyle Glazer from Baseball America. He's with us here on GCR. Let's talk about the other guys the Orioles selected. Uh, Matt Horvath, the second rounder, outfield out of North Carolina. Um, obviously, the talent is very apparent, but what should we know generally about what Matt Horvath brings to the table? Yeah, I mean, another guy is a good athlete. Uh, very different than Bradfield, though, you know, power speed. Um, the big question with him is just how much contact he's going to make. He, he's struggled to make contact uh, through a lot of his college career. Um, you know, hit okay at North Carolina this year, but. Um, I, I think this is more a guy you take in the second round where, again, you like some of the tools and the Orioles trust in their hitting development to you know, help him become a, a better hitter. 
Yeah, he ended up ballooning into 24 home runs a season ago. And to your point, I mean, he did hit nicely, 305 a year ago at Carolina. And then the pitcher that they finally take, and I think a lot of people look at the numbers and say, huh, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, Jackson Baumeister, who's, I, I can understand why it is that he wasn't uh, a first-round pick when I little bit look at the numbers, but tell me about what it is the Orioles got. Yeah, the Orioles love uh, fastballs with analytical traits, and that's what Baumeister has. Um, it's a good fastball. It's 93-98, has you know a lot of a lot of induced vertical break, which is which is carry. So, you know, it's got velocity, it's got movement, and and that's sort of what the Orioles have gone out and acquired. When you look at the pitchers they've taken either in the draft or the pitching prospects they've acquired at trades under Mike Elias, they see a fastball they think they can work with and and start there. Um, the secondaries need to improve, and the control needs to improve. The walks have always been a little high. You know, sometimes he gets hit a little more than you think he should, given the raw stuff. Um, but this is more of a, you know, he's a little bit of a project. He's a converted catcher. Uh, this is a draft-eligible sophomore. He's a younger guy. This isn't like your typical polished, you know, three-year starting college pitcher who's been pitching forever. You know, you can dream on some upside here that, you know, as he gets more innings under his belt, learns a few more things. This was his first year as a starter. That you know, maybe okay. the Orioles can can help tease more out of them. Okay, all right. That that you're you're comforting me a little bit because I definitely like many looked and said a five plus ERA guy. With, what are we doing? What's the thought process here? But I appreciate that, um, Kyle. I don't know how you are. A lot of people hate the idea of comps. If we go back to Enrique Bradfield, are you willing to indulge me? I mean, what, what I'll say is this, um, you know, the type of player he projects to be, you get a lot of Juan Pierre, okay. um, you know, maybe a little bit like a Denard span, uh, you know, or, or, excuse me, a Ben Revere, um, you know, kind of something like that. And look, Juan Pierre and Ben Revere were yep. good players who, who, you know, had long careers, hit for average, stole a lot of bases, you know, hit atop a lineup. I mean, those were good players. So that's generally the the phylum of player we're talking about with Enrique Bradfield if everything clicks the way the Orioles and his, and his proponents think it will. I think it's an interesting point. And again, I think it comes back to this like new style of baseball with their stolen bases being emphasized a little bit more. Are we going to see more of a return to like a traditional leadoff hitter? Because it's like the way that you describe that, it sounds like this very much is your traditional leadoff hitter in a lineup. Yeah, look, I mean, there's no question. The teams that can force the issue a little bit, can put pressure on defenses, I mean, that's always been an advantage. And now that the rules have increased the odds of success on stolen bases, you know, a lot of the best teams are taking advantage of it. You look at the Orioles, you look at the D-backs, you look at the Reds. It's a way for a lot of these, you know, mid-market teams. Speed's a lot cheaper to acquire than power. Um, a lot of them are having success, you know, with how aggressive they've been on the base pass. Stolen bases, first to third, second to homes, all of it. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a, a reason to believe it'll be a successful formula here with the new rules, and um, I think anytime you can put more pressure on defenses, it's a good thing. All right, let me ask the question this way, if I could. Is there, you know, in, in Baltimore, the guy that uh, we've fallen in love with is is Kobe Mayo, right? Is there, you know, a, some a, a name or two that you would point out to us, guys that are out there that would be particularly intriguing? I'm not saying the Orioles went under slot. I don't know what the story is with Bradfield. But if there is some a little bit of extra money, are there any interesting names that you would say these are some overslot guys that might go now moving forward that if you hear this name, you might be a little bit more excited about it than your typical fourth or fifth round pick? 
Um, that's a good question. At this exact moment, to be honest, there's not a specific guy that really jumps to mind okay. as ooh, you know, a big a big overslot, you know, guy to get excited about. Um I think we, we really need to see A, you know, what the agreements are the Orioles have with the guys they took before right. we know can they actually go over slot. And and also, you know, it's not like the Orioles necessarily have their choice of who they're picking here just by virtue of the fact they're in the back half of each round. Yeah. It's really tough to specifically peg a, a certain guy and say, oh, this could be a great overslot pick because we don't know if they're going to take over slot and, and what exactly, you know, the Orioles bonus pools are going to line up as. No, I understand that. I completely get it. All right, uh, Kyle Glazer, uh, I know it's a busy time for you. I know how, exactly how busy. It's a crazy busy time for you. At Kyle A. Glazer on Twitter is how folks can follow you. And what can I plug Baseball America-wise for you? Yeah, no, we've got wall-to-wall coverage of the draft here at BA, uh, live analysis from uh, every pick made yesterday, top storylines to watch, and then also best available going into day two. You know, we'll continue to have, you know, expensive coverage of the draft here from Seattle these next two days, so I encourage everyone to come check it out. Really appreciate you taking a couple of minutes for us this morning, Kyle. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Kyle Glazer, Baseball America, telling us a little bit more about the uh, three players the Orioles selected last night. Yeah, I saw that with uh, Jackson Baumeister, and I'm like, what? What? But I get what he's saying, which is they're looking at the peripherals, and they're saying, give me the talent, and let's see if we can't harness something. We'll find out. It's, it is interesting because they've never done that before. I, I know it's you're not supposed to call it a second-round pick. What do you call it? A competitive balance pick, but it's essentially a second-round pick. Um, and they've never done that. They've never picked a pitcher before the third round in Michael Elias's history. So they're, it's notable in that way, but does it fit the bill of a guy that's actually going to be here in the next year or two to be able to help? Probably not. It's a project guy. That could change, or maybe they ultimately see him as a guy that's going to end up being a, a high-leverage reliever given the stuff when they talk about the fastball. We'll see. All right, when we come back in, we are going to find out more about the Orioles' first-round pick, Enrique Bradfield. His college coach, Tim Corbin, from Vanderbilt, will join us next. It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. The Crossover Kid is back. Enjoy a night out at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday, July 15th, when the Orioles play the Miami Marlins at 705. Be one of the first 25,000 fans 15 and over to receive an Orioles soccer jersey presented by Pepsi Zero Sugar and arrive early for early bird Saturdays. Gates open two hours prior to the first pitch for happy hour, live music, and more. A variety of ticket options are available. Buy yours now at orioles.com slash tickets. Maryland drivers, did you know you can save up to 77% on tolls with an Easy Pass Maryland discount plan? That's right, 77%. It's never been easier. Pick the plan that's right for you at driveezmd.com. We'll keep you moving. It's a Maryland thing you wouldn't understand. Where the waves meet the shore, you will find Dorchester County. Hi, this is Jimmy Charles. When I think of Maryland, I think Dorchester County on the eastern shore where it's open for making memories. Dorchester County, it's a Maryland thing. For more info, visit www.visitdorchester.org. It's a Maryland
The latest edition of Pressbox is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg remembers Goose as he looks back on the impact that late Tony Saragusa had both on and off the field here in Baltimore. Plus, he explains how Goose's kids are working to continue that legacy with the Goose Flights program. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles the path Tyler Wells has taken to becoming a star in the Orioles rotation. And you'll find a special summer travel guide with information about events and activities throughout the state. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the O's, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Your summer destination is closer than you think at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. With an expansive gaming floor and incredible dining options ready for you to explore, your adventure awaits. Dine at the new Coho Korean Barbecue House coming in July or on the patio at the Prime Rib. Enjoy the summertime breeze at Orchid Smoking Patio. Limited time packages starting at $229. What are you waiting for? Book now. At Arundel Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call one 800 gambler Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get, so get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. Go to PressBoxOnline.com offers right now and get $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after placing your first $5 bet. See this and other great sportsbook offers at PressBoxOnline.com offers. Let's continue to talk about the Orioles' draft picks. Their first-round draft pick last night, Enrique Bradfield Jr., outfielder from Vanderbilt. A couple years ago, we had the opportunity to uh, to meet our next guest because we were thinking that the Orioles might be taking another one of his, his guys at number one overall. That didn't end up being the case, but now it happens to work out that he's sending one up to Baltimore in the form of Enrique Bradfield. He is Vanderbilt baseball coach Tim Corbin, and he's with us now here on GCR. Coach, it's uh, Glenn in Baltimore. It's really great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking the time for us this morning. My, yeah, my pleasure, Glenn. Thank you. Um, I was reading something on the Vanderbilt website about some words that you had said previously about Enrique Bradfield, and the word that stuck out to me is competes. Can you try to explain to me what Enrique Bradfield is as a competitor in general? Well, I, I think 
you know, a competitor in the sense that, you know, I see it as, as someone who can really, really concentrate and focus once they get in certain environments. And it really doesn't matter what the ancillary pieces are, what's around them. They just, they're totally focused and involved in what they're doing. And this kid's very good at doing that. Um, he's very centered. Once he gets into competition, he knows what he wants to do and he tries to do it. And I, you know, I'd say he lives every phase of his life. I think you, when you see competitors, they're, they're pretty good at competing in everything. I mean, he competed academically. He's a Dean's List student, competes on the field. You know, you do things in the weight room. He's competing there. He just wants to win. And I think when you get into amateur baseball today, uh, baseball's not really shaped to actually do that. It's more to um, show your, show your, showcase your skills audition, but there's a clear difference. And this kid, this kid loves to compete, likes to get on the field, and he likes to win. Do you have a first story? Like, you know, when you discovered him, when somebody else brought him to your attention, the first time you saw him, like, do you have a, a story of, oh, yeah, I, I, I want that kid in our program? I just remember his high school coach telling me, he said, we've got a kid that's in the ninth grade. He weighs 125 pounds. He's left-handed, but he can really, really run. And he said, coach, I'm telling you, in a couple of years, you're going to want this kid. He says he can put the bat on the ball. Well, we... Uh, we we went down and watched him, and by the time we got to see him, it was a year later, it was 135 pounds, but he looked like a Bambi. You know, he just looked like mm. a really, really thin kid that could really, really move, and he could do that, and we saw him compete there, too, and I think, you know, when we, we got him, which we were thankful for because he had an opportunity to sign out of high school, but I think he understood that mentally, emotionally, and physically need to grow, and he did, and you know, as even in this program, his freshman year, freshman fall, I should say, you know, it was hitting became very difficult for him. And then, and then, you know, getting him on the field, you know, get, once he got to first base, he wouldn't use his speed. And I just remember in the middle of fall telling him, listen, you get to first base. I don't care when you take off, but you have to take off on the first two pitches. I don't care if you're safe or out, just go. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like at that point right there, it, it just, he took off. He just started gaining confidence. And then during the course of his freshman year, he went from a nine-hole hitter to a one-hole hitter. I think really where he took off that year is we played Tennessee on a Sunday. We needed to win a game. He stole four bases and got three hits. And it was wow. like from then on, he became a premium player. That sounds pretty good to us. We like that, Coach. Coach Tim Corbin, two-time College World Series winner at Vanderbilt. He is with us here on GCR. Um, hey, coach, let's let's talk about that speed because you know everything about a guy that gets on base at a four ten clip and steals a ton of bases sounds really good, and particularly sounds really good at a time where Major League Baseball has kind of manipulated the rules in order to give advantage again to base stealing. How much do you feel like Enrique Bradfield's game fits the trajectory of where baseball is headed? since they've changed the rules with the bigger bases and fewer disengagements in order to try to encourage more, you know, activity on the base paths. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I think the game's moving back more into a 60s, 70s style of game. That's, that, that's the way I see it. And just watching it, too. I think you're, you're seeing some of the, the brightest young stars right now have premium speed. And this fits Enrique. I mean, the size of the bases certainly helps. I mean, the ability to know that, he's going to go and 
there's only a certain amount of pickoffs over to first base or second base, he's going to take advantage of that. So there's certainly a speed element to his game, too. He's going to be able to shrink the defense because defenses are going to have to respect the fact that he can bunt. Now, I know professional baseball, there's not a Mm -hmm. ton of bunt, but this kid can do it. But he also has some strength to him, too, because he's got a, a very flat swing. I think this is what you're going to see in Baltimore, though. You're going to see a guy... And you, Cedric Mullins is a hell of a player. But you're going to see a guy at some point in time take away doubles, triples, and home runs, and even off-the-bat singles that fall in front of outfielders. He can play the defensive position yeah. like no one we've ever had here, and, and really no one that I've seen. His ability to get jumps, his ability to move, his ability to dive and catch the ball and, not, and, and to retain the ball, his ability – and he did this, when you see it done one time, you think, okay, that's the only time it's ever going to happen. The amount of times he went over a fence to steal a home run is more than six, less than 12, but that happened in three years. And it was just amazing how he had a knack for doing that. So this is the guy that's going to be a, he's going he's gonna to create a lot of defensive RBIs. He is going to steal some runs and he's going to take away, pitchers are going to like him because He's going to take away balls that a lot of kids can't get to. I was enjoying some of the highlights that I was seeing last night. They were quite yeah. like there was absolutely an excitement level of that. And I think to the point, it's it, 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 the way you're describing is it, it's not just range, right? Like the range is the thing that obviously everybody talks about. And it's what we've been talking about with Cedric Mullins. What you're saying is something even beyond that. He doesn't just get there. He makes extraordinarily different, difficult catches even when he's gotten to the ball. Yeah, because he competes to the ball. His instinct and his move to the ball off the bat is different. It's different. So he, he's got makeup speed. We already know that. And there's some wide receivers that don't run good routes, but they can separate themselves from defensive backs. He's the guy that runs good routes and can separate himself from a defensive back hmm. because he, his mind is moving before the ball is hit. And I think that's the difference. Anticipation skills, you know, are really – the difference in in players when you see them it's certain guys I used to you know I was at Clemson I thought the best outfielder I ever saw was J.D. Drew and almost looked like J.D. Drew was lazy but he wasn't it was his anticipation skills that got him to the ball so he could slow himself down Enrique's like that too but you're going to see the burst the minute he goes after a ball it's it's just different and the makeup speed to catch the ball is different too I think you're going to have a hard time you know, he's going to he's going to end up learning how to hit and move. But I think when you start seeing what he can do defensively, it's tough to leave that guy behind. So let, let me talk about, you know, if you could coach, because I think one of the things that, that jumped out at people last night when the Orioles made the pick was, OK, but, you know, he didn't hit 300 a year ago and at the college level. It, it, it was kind of a disappointing number. Now, I, I think the immediate thing that the Orioles probably look at and say, dude, if you get on base at this clip, we don't care exactly what it is that you're hitting. But you know what? If, what has happened that he's gone from being, you know, a three thirty hitter as a freshman to dipping below two eighty last year? He got out of himself a little bit. He tried to come off himself and lift the ball a little bit, and he would tell you that, you know, he got away from what what made him a good player. What makes him a good player is the foul line, so he can go from left field to right field. I don't worry about his hitting; those are numbers, and you know, the reality is those numbers probably aren't indicative of. And I know coaches sometimes are biased in mm-hmm. how they position their words towards the kid, but this kid hit a lot of balls hard that were either caught uh, or turned into outs. But 
you know, there was a magnifying glass on this kid, and he's playing in the SEC. This is he he can hit. I don't, I'm not worried about those numbers. And the whether it was the general manager, scouting director that I spoke to, I think that was their question to me. And I said, don't worry about that. I said, I'm telling you, just put it to the side. This guy's going to move the ball, and he's going to hit. And there's going to be a little bit of power in there too, because they said he can backspin the ball. And those balls are pretty live at your level, and uh, he can hit the ball the opposite way in the seats as well. But that's that's not his game. But he's going to do that. I'm wondering if there is like a- any room to grow into a little more pop. Like you know, we brought up Cedric Mullins earlier, and I- I'm Cedric Mullins is never going to be a 30 home run hitter again, right? Like that number is even kind of nuts. But is there room for there to be more pop there for him to come, given what you've seen of him? Yeah, and I think a lot of good hitters end up doing that because their timing skills improve. They learn the zone even more. Uh, for him, physically, he's going to grow. His dad was a late bloomer physically, so Enrique is going to be some of that too. So, yeah, you're talking about a twitchy, strong kid now. This is uh, I'm trying to think of a football player that I could, you know, um, his name escapes me, but the, the thin wide receiver who plays with the Eagles right now from Alabama. I mean, it's that. Oh, uh, Devontae Smith, that, yeah. Oh, there you go. It's that type of – but Enrique's bigger than that. So – you know, it's he's he's going to feel his power. He's he's going to grow into that. This is a kid that's going to be able to drive the ball. But you're just going to like the style of play. I mean, this is when when people get in the seats. Yeah, they like the home run and they like the well pitched mm-hmm. game. But this guy's offense moves from a batter's box to a base, and it's not over until he touches the plate. And I think that's the exciting piece. Is his offensive experience lasts longer than most, and I think that's what they'll like. Uh, Coach, that's exactly the type of baseball that I like. It's why I've enjoyed the Royals changes this year. This is maybe my selfishness. Like, I'm I'm 40, so, like, I grew up in the era of, like, early 90s baseball, and Kenny Lofton was my favorite baseball player, right? Like, this is – I am all in for this type of baseball. It is extraordinarily exciting to me, and we like the sounds of it. Um, Coach, if I could, because he was part of your guys' team that made a run, you know, back to the the College World Series final as a young player. The Orioles are expected to be very much in that mix in the coming years to be competing for championships. What did you learn about him when the lights were shining the brightest? And you know, how much do you think he's ready for when he gets here? And we're not, you know, no rush, but when he gets here, he's likely to be a part of a franchise that's very much still in their window of trying to compete for championships. Yeah, well, you got a, you you certainly have a good club, and we got a former player that's your third base coach. So you yeah, know, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, that's right. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge follower of Baltimore and Tony Mancellino too, and we got a lot of guys up there. But I, I, yeah, that that's that's going to help him. I mean, he's he's that kid. He's that kid that gets into those environments right there, and it, it he's brighter. He shines. He likes it. He thrives in the arena of competition, and uh, as I said, you know, as we started, that's 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 his gift. You know, that's his gift. He can get in those those environments right there, and he loves it. You know, he just the bigger the game, the better he is. Uh, he's just a tough, tough competitor. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm you're you're gonna you're gonna like the style. He's gonna improve your team. There, that's for sure. You got some good young kids with Henderson and. Jackson Holiday coming up, and you know, kid like this, this kid's a difference maker for sure. And we're hoping to get uh, Carter Young a little bit moving on the uh, the path, right? That's right. And, yep, 
That'd be very yep, cool. Fine. Yep. Coach, before I let you go, if I could, you, you got to play him this year, and it was a heck of a game out in Minnesota, and, and now you're going to be going up against Rob Vaughn. Can, from afar, can you share a thought about how this Maryland baseball program has like continued to succeed and it's transcended coaches and – you know, they, they keep it like it, this is not the SEC. This is a place where snow is a real factor. And, you know, it, it's not quite as easy and it's not very glamorous. How impressed have you been by the consistency of that program from afar? Yeah, very. I mean, I remember Maryland and this is not a, a slight on anything, but I remember Maryland baseball when I was at Clemson. I, yeah. mean, I was at Clemson for mm-hmm. nine years. And, you know, you had your know, left handed pitcher, Milton, who yep. was a very good but, you know, I, I thought the spike actually was when Eric Backich, who was an assistant of ours, took the Maryland position to begin with. And I, I, I thought Eric did such a good job before he moved to, to Michigan, then handed it off to John Sheff, yep. and John Sheff did a good job with it. I thought Rob was outstanding. And I still, you know, I think Rob's outstanding anyway. I, I, you got, we got an opportunity to talk in the hotel when we were both in Minnesota. I, I love his, his way. He's just a good coach. And he did a good job inside of that program, but you know what? It's uh, you got a good one right now too, because yep. he, he's, he's been there for a while and he's an, he's an assistant. He's someone I knew as a, a young kid. And uh, I, I just, yeah, I think Maryland's going to be in good shape. I don't worry about that program whatsoever. Yeah. We're big. We love Rob, but we're big Matt Swope guys here too. He's just a really good dude. And we can't wait to see yeah, what's next. He's, He's a great guy. He's got a great personality. He's got a great way about him. Uh, Coach, uh, really can't wait. Can't wait to see what happens with Enrique. Hope to see you up here in Baltimore at some point in the future. Really appreciate you hopping on and telling us a little bit more about him this morning. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Coach Tim Corbin from Vanderbilt with us here on GCR telling us about Enrique Bradfield, the uh, Orioles' first-round pick, 17th overall. Uh, enjoyed that conversation. And, yes, worth pointing out as I was just uh, getting the thought in about Maryland baseball, some history last night. Matt Shaw goes 13th to the Cubs. He becomes the highest-selected player in Maryland baseball history. So um, would have been a neat story, right, if he would have you know fallen to the Orioles and that would have been – I don't even know if they would have taken him, but it would have been neat for that to work out that way. Um, really cool Matt Shaw number 13 overall highest selected player in Maryland baseball history expect a couple other Maryland guys uh, catcher Luke Schliger uh, Nick LaRusso likely to be selected uh, in the next um, I don't know however many rounds there's no way of knowing exactly how these things play out with the baseball draft but both those guys likely to hear their name called so um, but obviously a, a historic moment for Maryland baseball as Matt Shaw goes 13th overall to Chicago last night. Continue along here on a Monday edition of GCR. Orioles have rolled off five straight. They head into the All-Star break. Of course, tonight, the home run derby. Hilarity. I, okay, so yesterday I was doing the show on 105.7 The Fan, and before I do the show, I tend to sit in. I don't like to disrupt a lot of hosts go sit in the producer studio before their show begins. But when you get talking to the producer, sometimes the producer isn't paying full attention to the show that's going on, and that's not fair to that host. And despite the fact that, you know, Drew's the worst, I try to be fair to him, so I don't want to bother uh, my guy Caleb before while Drew's doing a show, right? Like, Drew's like, hey, I kind of need my producer. By the way, a lesson to other hosts out there. I'm not going to name names, but... There are other 
like you can send an email to that producer, even if it's the same producer as you. You can send an email, and you can chat with them in like a couple minutes before your show begins. Maybe don't be disrespectful to the hosts that are on. That's all. Just a not a sermon, just a thought. Like I have no idea who's hearing that. <laughs> like like I have a bunch of radio like weekend radios that are sitting around listening to, yeah. to Glenn Clark Radio today. Um, but I so I go sit in the studio where they kind of handle the streaming for AM 1300, which is just the national radio. And like the show that's on when I walk into that studio, I don't know what it is. I don't know who the hosts are. I don't know anything about it, but they're doing a hardcore breakdown of the home run derby. And I'm laughing about it. I'm just like, who, who's listening to it? Who's interested in that? And then I walk in the day before the show begins, my show begins and Grant and Griffin are just sitting around doing a hardcore breakdown of the hardcore home run breakdown. derby, of 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 who it is that like I mean I, I can't wait to see Robert. I'm really excited. I'm like oh. I think Luis Robert's got a good chance. Yeah, sure. He's a nice. He's one of the eight guys yeah, nice competing. Swing. So yeah, he the, probably the only has bad a chance. News, the only to bad win. news for Luis, Luis Robert is He's obviously Adley, Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't care. There's no other way for me to say it. I don't care. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. If Adley Rutschman wins the thing tonight, that'll be neat, right? Like, well, I'll say, hey, that's cool. What a cool moment for Adley and his dad, right? We'll sit back and we'll say, that was fun. And then by tomorrow, it will be utterly irrelevant. And and I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I mean that because the Home Run Derby is a television show. It'll be good for me when I win, you know, if 50, you put $50 some, dollars Yeah, if you put some bets know. down on Adley Rutschman, you'll care deeply about that. But the Home Run Derby is a television show. Now, I get it. There was a time in my life where it was, a, to me, a very compelling television show. I have said for some time, I am not, like, I, and maybe I just stopped paying attention. They did. I don't know why they don't just let them use cork bats, let them use metal bats, let them use, it's a TV show. It's not a legitimate competition. The The coolest thing to me in the history of the, I know everybody always talks about uh, Josh Hamilton in New York. That and was a and it was, was it was awesome. nuts. You, if you're gonna, you got to make sure you keep that microphone up by your mouth, Grant. If you're gonna there jump you in, go. I need you to like actually uh, say it into the mic. Um, it was awesome. But to me, Sammy Sosa in Atlanta. When I think of the home run derby, that's what I think of because <clears throat> when all the guys were using steroids, whoa, 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 he was parking balls well into the upper deck. It was a tour of what was then Turner Field. We had never seen anything like it. That, to me, is the concept. Whenever I, I'm watching, like... Uh, they, they, so they should just do the Derby in Colorado every year and start using the... Uh, when you see when, up bats wh- whatever balls. network it is, when I'm sitting at a bar or at a restaurant that also has a bar and they've just left because no restaurants or bars know what channel any sporting event is on anymore, so they just leave Sports Channel on... Like, they just walk in and say, that one's going to be on ESPN, that one will be on Masson, that one, even when it's in, like, the middle of December. And so, like, they have Masson on, and there's nothing on, no offense, there's nothing to watch on Masson like in December. Poker on or something? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, and every now and then what they have on is those big fat guys doing the softball home run derbies. Whatever they call it. They, there's a term for it. They, like, call it a certain type of competition. And I, know, it's all, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking It's these yeah. big... Fat dudes, just softball home running. Well, it's all promotion for Di Marini or something like that, isn't it? If you say so, it's I don't know. Like I don't yeah. know what it is, but it's a legitimate. And they go tour and they go to different places, and there's there's a competition involved. It's it's like 
golf's you know golf has long drive right where it's like not actually golf it's just big dudes trying to hit the ball 500 yards off the tee to win the long drive competition there's a softball version of it that they will occasionally put on tv and that is incredibly compelling to watch because it's just these mammoth dudes that are just crushing the ball just absolutely obliterating it and to me that's what the home run derby should be I don't really like, – what is the TV viewing experience of watching a dude put a batting practice ball on the second row of the stadium? Like, what does that do for me? Competition. Who can do it more? You just watch batting yeah. practice if you want that. If you're, I guess if your team's in it, that is bragging rights maybe? No, there's no bragging rights. Like, it's – no, it's not. Pete Alonzo will yeah, parade sure, that yes, belt the, around. The Mets certainly feel really good <laughs> about where they are because they've got the back-to-back home run derby champ. Definitely makes them feel better about their circumstances. I don't say this to poo-poo any of it. Like, I get it. TV shows are good. It's okay to have TV shows. I like TV shows. I'm still trying to finish Shameless right now. I'm a fan of television. This is a television program. And it's, a, to some extent, a good television program. But it should, the, the priority should always be how do we make it a better television program. How do we improve the quality of this television show? And, again, metal bats, the ball traveling even further. That would be a way to go about improving the quality of the television show. Now, maybe the players would say, dude, we don't actually want to do the metal bat thing because then we don't want to have to go back. To the, to the, yeah. It's always the eternal like, conversation that has to be brought up. Are you worried about uh, so-and-so participating and screwing up their swing? No, it, like if every player that ever participated in the home run derby screwed up their swing, then yes, I'd say never let one of these players participate. And honestly, I'd probably say in general, I would prefer to not have guys in the home run derby than I would to have them in. Because if there's even a one in a million chance of them screwing up their swing, the benefit of it isn't worth it to me. Why don't you throw, put a throwback player in there and see if they still got it? I remember the Orioles did like oh god oh yeah the um the home run derby with um the, they did with the the 25th Orioles anniversary of, of the, I was there it was an Orioles Phillies thing it was oh, related no, was to the saying. anniversary of the '83 World Series so maybe 2003 maybe because this oh, is the 40th anniversary then. so maybe they did it in 2003 um and it was the 20th anniversary and it was like Dempsey and Daryl, Darren Dalton, and like I don't remember who else was in it, but I think they all combined to hit one home run between all of them. Now they were all twenty years removed from that '83 World Series, so like maybe if you got a guys that retire, maybe Albert Pujols would have better fortune in a home run derby. But it was or like ugly, like it was gross. Well, so it had they had to have gone nuts when that one home run uh-huh. left the yard. Yeah. Oh yeah, the place yeah. went. It was. Yes, it, the place went it. crazy. They there were also it. a lot of Phillies fans that were down for that weekend. It was a whole thing. All right, I don't know why I have so many memories of that particular event. Because it was, it was fun. Because the home run derbies are fun. That's why. Sure. One home run. Look, man, if Adley wins, cool. I'm not. I'm not gonna be angry about him winning unless again he screws up his swing. I just don't care. He was pre- he's preparing yesterday. Tonight, if you want to go, my guy Eric's going to be over. Eric Arditi's hanging out, doing an event over Jimmy's. I, I Go. Go have fun. It's, you know, be an Orioles fan for a night. That's cool, but I just I can't fake a level of interest that I don't have. If I happen to be home and Twitter tells me, hey, Adley's up, all right, then I'll poke over and I'll look at it. If I miss it, 
life will go on. I'm far more interested in the fact that just when I was clowning him, Christopher Eubanks has rallied back, won the fourth set, Let's go. And now is Let's up a break go. in the fifth set. I am losing my mind right now. I have no idea how I'm going to talk to Ken Singleton. I know. But I'll do my best. Take a long break here. Yeah, Kenny Singleton joins us next. Uh, yes, we are going to continue to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the 83 World Series. We're doing that all summer. But also, I want to get some thoughts from him on uh, Aaron Hicks, who, of course, he was around a lot in New York. And how the hell has this happened? We'll do all that with our guy, Ken Singleton, next. Glenn Clark Radio. Another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. It starts on the 14th with our big hitter bobblehead, Connor Norby, for the first 750 fans. Saturday sees our special circus night with post-game fireworks. And Sunday features the Kobe Mayo Squish Pillow with special ticket package. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at baysox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox, let us be your nine-inning vacation. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to BirdlandSports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. Soak up summertime fun in Charm City. Enjoy only in Baltimore festivals, mouth-watering eats, and endless entertainment. Cheer on the O's at Camden Yards. Pick crabs by the waterfront. Beat the heat inside a world-class museum and make memories that will last a lifetime. Go to Baltimore.org for more information and to plan your visit. I'm Michael Jan Grandy, president of A.J. Michaels, your carrier energy expert for 44 years. Save money, energy, and make your home more comfortable and virus-free. Find us at A.J. Michaels. That's AJMichaels.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg remembers Goose as he looks back on the impact that late Tony Saragusa had both on and off the field here in Baltimore. Plus, he explains how Goose's kids are working to continue that legacy with the Goose Flights program. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles the path Tyler Wells has taken to becoming a star in the Orioles rotation. And you'll find a special summer travel guide with information about events and activities throughout the state. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the O's, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms.
It's a Maryland thing you wouldn't understand. Where the waves meet the shore, you will find Dorchester County. Hi, this is Jimmy Charles. When I think of Maryland, I think Dorchester County on the eastern shore where it's open for making memories. Dorchester County, it's a Maryland thing. For more info, visit www.visitdorchester.org. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline, and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grindr. Not that I know what's on Grindr or anything, I swear! Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. Into hour number two here on GCR. Still a lot to do this hour, including... We continue our 40th anniversary celebration, the 1983 World Series. We just had, I'm an idiot, all right? Like, let me start with that. And, and Ken's probably laughing. He's like, yeah, I know, Glenn. We've, I've heard, I've talked to you a number of times. I'm an idiot. So, like, six weeks ago, I think, I don't even remember why we just said, let's have Ken on. It's been a little while. Let's, let's talk to Ken. Let's talk some Orioles with him. And then the week after that, I said to Griffin, you know what we should have been doing this season? A year-long celebration of the 40th anniversary of the 1983 World Series. And we had Ken on, and I didn't even bring it up. So I said, well, that's good, because it gives me an excuse to ask Ken Singleton to come back on the program. And that's always a good time in my life. Joining us now, Orioles legend, the great sweet swinging Kenny Singleton. He's back with us here on GCR. What's going on, Ken? How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well, Glenn. How are you today? I am great, my friend. It is always good to hear your voice. 40 years ago. Um, Kenny, just if, if you could, the question I've been asking a lot of guys this summer, how has your perspective of the 83 World Series winning a championship, how has it changed over the years? Have you, have there been ways that you've had a greater appreciation for what it is that that team did? Well, yeah, I'll always appreciate it because that's the only world championship team I was on. Yep. So, uh, and back in those days, the Orioles came close. We were in the race just about every single year. We seem to put it over the top now. We did 79, but. All right, let's see if we can't get that straightened out with Ken Singleton just having some uh, technology issues. It's all these things happen. That's the way that it goes. Still to come this hour, we'll uh, chat with our buddy uh, Jeremy Kahn from 105.7 The Fan. That's still going to happen uh, before today's show wraps up. Hey, don't forget. Stan, the fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, Luke Jackson, they're back in action. Action Luke Jackson, that's what they call him. They're back in action today after being off last week for the holiday. 4.30 p.m. they'll be on Facebook Live. Facebook.com slash Sports, of course, is where you can find it. If you miss it live, you'll be able to watch it there or YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline, PressBoxOnline.com slash video. But today, first half, recap. Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, Luke Jackson, 4.30 p.m., Facebook.com slash Sports. Let's reconnect with our guy, Ken Singleton. Uh, and, Ken, as you were talking about, yeah, the only world championship that you're able to win, obviously it's going to mean a whole heck of a lot to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, first of all, uh, when we were on the, the team in 79 that lost the World Series, we were had three games to one. I felt we were too overconfident, and um, we thought we had them. And uh, Willie Starger would not let them lose. And they went on to beat us, of course, in the seven-game series. 
But in 83, we had 15 of the same players mm-hmm. on the team that we had in 79. And uh, that, that's, that's unusual, to say the least. And it shows you how good that team was. There weren't too many changes to be made as we went along trying to get back to the World Series. And when we did in 83, I mean, we, we were all older, and uh, we had a veteran team. And I think we all realized that this is going to be our last chance to put it over the top. And uh, the Phillies won the first game in Baltimore. And I, I remember walking up the tunnel, and I was with Storm Davis, and I said, Storm, Stormy, that's going to be the only game they win. Huh. And, and uh, we won the next four. And I think you might want to look this up, but I think it's, it still holds that we are the only team uh, since then to sweep the World Series and win the World Series by sweeping in the opposing city. And I don't think anybody else has done it since. Uh, so, the, um, the Nationals against the Astros a couple years ago won. And it was, they did it? It was, in fact, bizarre because they lost all three games in D.C. and won all four games in Houston. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's. Yeah. That's, it's a little well, that's bit amazing. In itself. Right. It's a little bit different. Yes. But it, they did. Um, it, well, it, it might have been tougher because they had to win four. Right. It's it's it, it's kind of crazy how that worked out. Um, yeah. Can everybody that I've talked to has every time I bring up you know somebody's own personal story from '83, mm-hmm. they all every single one of you guys that was on the '79 team says the singular thing that was driving us was trying to wipe the taste out of '79 from our mouths. Can you tell me Ooh. about as as a player who accomplished so many things? what 79 did to you, how much it impacted you guys, and how important it was that that wouldn't be a story that you would carry for the rest of your life, that you were on the team that blew the 3-1 lead in the World Series, that there would be something else that we could lead with when we would talk about you. Yeah, yeah it, it was most disappointing to say the least. There, there were a couple of things that I remember about that. Uh, after losing Game 7 in Baltimore, I remember just sitting in my locker. I, I was just exhausted. I mean, I was tired. I mean, the pressure of that, uh, you know, seven to ten days of a World Series play. Uh, most of the games were tight. Uh, and I, I was just ready to take the uniform off and get ready for the next year and hope, hope for better things because uh, it was so disappointing. Now, I can remember walking down York Road in Towson and um, – uh, it was, it wasn't that late at night, but it was, it was after dark. I mean, the days were getting shorter than in October and this, this guy walked across the street and I guess he recognized me and I figure, okay, here we go. He's going to get on us about losing the world series. And he said, no, he, he said, no, I, I, I have faith in you guys. I, I think you can do it. Hmm. And, uh, I, in the future. And to me, that's what Baltimore fans were all about. And it, it just gave us, gave me incentives somehow let's get back there if we can and uh, see if we can put it over the top. And I, I just think that the, the fans themselves were, were uh, so supportive in those days. And, uh, you know, that's why we all did a lot of charity work and we all still do. Yep. And it's because of those are the people that uh, really supported us. You know, when you go to uh you go to the supermarket or you go to the gas station and the, the people working there say, well, I'm going to the game tonight. I hope you win. These are people you don't want to let down, <laughs> you know? And I, I hopefully the team nowadays, 
is getting that same feeling we had uh, back in the uh, 70s and the 80s uh, with the support. I mean, all those people now are grand, grandmas or grandpas. But uh, the, the thing is that they're still Orioles fans if they're around. I, I think we're starting to feel that connection um, really come to life again here in this city. Yeah. Ken, uh, if I could, one of the things that jumps out the most about the 83 season is two different seven-game losing streaks. <laughs> and and we saw just, yeah. you know, in the last two weeks, like before this five-game win streak, this current Orioles team was in a funk. And I would talk to people around baseball, and they kind of laugh at me like, dude, it's baseball. Like, these these things happen. Like, good teams lose games. That's the way it goes. There's 162 games in the season. You're going to lose some of them. How did you guys? Well, <laughs> how did you guys handle it? Like, how were you able to just shake off such significant funks twice in the year? Well, you, you look. I look at it this way: the good teams. I mean, the very good teams are going to lose at least sixty times, right? At, at least, and maybe more. Uh, so, to put have uh, seven of those in a row twice. Oh, that was fourteen right there. So that's fourteen of our. I think we won 98 games that year. I, I think that's what our, our total was in the regular season. So, uh, to me, it seemed at the time that we were not going to win another game. <laughs> that's the way it looked at me. We weren't hitting. The pitcher was kind of spotty during those stretches. Uh, and if you remember, one of the times uh, we were in Chicago, and that's where we broke the streak. Um, and we eventually would play the, the White Sox in, in the playoffs in the championship series. Um, Bill Swaggerty, a raw rookie, came up and pitched. I think it was his first major league start. And he shut the White Sox down for about seven innings, six, seven innings. And we won that game and broke our seven-game losing streak. And, that, that, you know, going into that game, I, I wouldn't say I had the utmost confidence throwing a rookie against a, a very good White Sox team. But, uh, you know, we won. And that, that kind of got us going again. I, um, I, I always had the utmost confidence in all my teammates i mean i was with the orioles for 10 years we yeah. had a winning record every year and we were in, if there were wild cards in those days i mean we finished second six times in 10 years that i was here and uh if there were wild cards i guarantee you we would have made the world series more than just twice in those 10 seasons so but uh that that wasn't the way it was set up back then so i i just uh uh yeah it was tough <laughs> but uh you know i had confidence in my teammates that we had good pitchers and I think uh, uh, I think what the Oriole fans are finding now, these young pitchers that they have might be better than they even thought they were. So that by and, the, uh, they, can that jumps out at me significantly, right? Like yeah. th th this five days, what turned it around for the Orioles over the course of the week was the absolute best trip through the rotation that they've had all season, right? Like five yeah, starters who yeah. all pitch well over these last five games. And I feel like the 83 team, it's forgotten because in Orioles lore, we think about the Palmer, McNally, Cuellar, Dobson teams, right? Like, I don't yeah. think that we treat your guys' team, and Palmer was technically there, but, like, yeah. we don't treat it the same way. But what you guys had in Boddicker and McGregor and, you know, even to your point, Storm Davis, who had a really good season that year, and yeah. mm -hmm. Flanagan – the, the confidence that that gave you, that when you were going through a little bit of a funk offensively, we're still pretty comfortable these guys are going to – how significant was that to becoming a championship team that you guys knew every every guy that goes out there, we feel like we have a chance to win behind that guy? Yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, very, um, that's very um, 
what word am I looking for here? But I, I, you're right. I, I think that the thing is, during the course of a long season, when you have a pitcher that goes out there every single night that's as good or better than the other team has, mm-hmm. you're going to wear them down. And you're going to wear the rest of the league down because eventually you, you're going to win more games because your pitcher's better and he can keep you in the games. Uh, I, I look at uh, – you've mentioned Scott McGregor. Now, Scott, he was a losing pitcher in game seven of, uh, in 79. But he also was the winner to get us to the World Series against the Angels by throwing a shutout mm-hmm. against a very good An- uh, Anaheim team, uh, you know, Angels team. Uh, when we got to the uh, last game of the World Series against Philadelphia in Philly, it was Scotty's turn to pitch. And uh, when he finished warming up, he came in the dugout. He looked at this all and said, the World Series is over. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went out there and threw a shutout. And we won again. And uh, up until that point, Eddie Murray hadn't been having a good World Series. I mean, he, he was kind of awful. You know, he and Mike Schmidt were, didn't live up to their billing. But uh, I remember before the game, Rick Dempsey went up to Eddie and said, we need you to be Eddie Murray today. And Eddie just gave him that stare and didn't say anything. <laughs> and he went out there and hit two home runs. And he was Eddie Murray. And uh, we, we were the world champions. I, mm. I just uh, – uh, by that time, you could see that Eddie was on his way to the Hall of Fame. You know, Cal was a little bit younger, and he he come he he won the MVP that year and was right. rookie of the year the year before. But that was a pretty good start on his MVP career too. So we had two players on our team uh, that were you know Hall of Fame caliber players, and plus we had a lot of guys on the team that were Oriole Hall of Fame type players. Yes, and uh, uh, so that that's. Uh, I'm looking forward to the celebration we're going to have in August at Camden Yard. Yep. To, uh, it's hard to believe it's been 40 years, but uh, it'd be good to see the guys again because we're, you know, spread out all over the country. I, I don't know how many are coming back, but hopefully it's a good representation. And I do hope, Glenn, that um, in some way, shape, or form, that they recognize that the guys that aren't around anymore I... uh, because uh, they were they're very important to the cause back in the day and. Um, you know, they, they are definitely missed when we have these uh, reunions. And I remember one thing Eddie Murray says, I hope the Orioles win again soon because they're going to keep bringing us back. <laughs> Maybe there's only one of us left. I, I, just, I just said I hope they win soon, too. You're ready for you know, the- they're getting there. They oh, are getting there. No doubt about that. Ready for some other teams we brought back for reunions here in the coming years. Uh, and as Ken points out, obviously that first weekend of August and that Saturday against the Mets, it's going to be a very special, yeah. special day celebrating the 40th anniversary of the uh, 83 World Series team. Kenny, I, I, I get the last time we talked, we didn't have – I had no idea that we are going to end up needing to have a conversation about Aaron Hicks in a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> how, how do you ex- – like, how do you from afar – Explain this. Seeing what he went through yeah. in New York, knowing I don't know how how much you, how well you knew Aaron, but like how do you uh-huh. explain a guy who everyone thought was done, just the, it was over, there was nothing left, coming in in a pressure situation, Cedric Mullins goes down, this team needs a boost. How do you explain what we have seen from Aaron Hicks? Yeah, he he was kind of a. Uh... You know, overwhelmed in New York at the end. I think the fans were really on his case. Um, uh, yeah, I knew him pretty well. You know, we would have our discussions before games and, and sometimes on the bus after the games. 
He's a good young man. Um, I just think uh, the pressure uh, – there is a certain amount of pressure playing for the Yankees. I, you know, doing their games for a number of years, I always mentioned that uh, the Yankees uh, uh, just as much play against their own history as they play against everybody else. You know, they, people expect them to be good. And if you're not, the fans are going to get on you. Right now it's Josh Donaldson who's facing the wrath of the fans. Sure. Um, I, I think he's got 14 hits this year and 10 of them are home runs. So, and I think that's the fewest amount of hits to reach 10 home runs. It's it's absurd. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I mean, 14 hits and 10 homers. Uh, That's that's hard to do when you think about it. Uh, So so anyway, it's it's Donaldson now, and it was big. Now, just maybe a change of scenery. You know, that's coming to a, a good team. It seems to be a good clubhouse. I'm not in that clubhouse like I was in the Yankee clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, the, the thing is that uh, he's thriving. He's, he's playing pretty well. And uh, not only is, you know, he's always been a, a good defender. And, and even there in, in New York, his game suffered uh, somewhat. Uh, he, he wasn't making the plays he was making before and certainly was not swinging the bat as well. Now, uh, the Orioles seem to have the abundance of riches now. They, they've got, uh, you know, Mullins is back. Uh, they're, they're, they've got a lot of good outfielders, young outfielders, and somebody's going to have to sit or DH and they're going to have to give Rushman some DH days yep. too as a catcher. He's playing that tough position. So this is going to be very interesting, challenging for Brandon Hyde to, to kind of keep everybody happy. But if the team's winning, there's really nothing to complain about if you're a player. I, I, I mean, I, yeah, uh, what, what, what can you say? You get a yeah. few, yeah, a, a couple less at bats, but you're in, you're part of a team that's doing something special, you know. Like, I, yeah, life, life can go on, I guess, at that point. Yeah, if you get to the playoffs, or, or, or you know, even better if you get to the World Series. I mean, you're gonna get a full share if you're there all year. I mean, that's and in this day and age, when it's, I think it's supposed to half a million bucks, so that, that that's not bad, you know. That that's um, speaking of us winning the World Series and. Um, you're saying it, it wasn't a five hundred thousand dollars share that year, Ken? No, 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 no. It was. It was. It, I wasn't complaining. Don't get me wrong. A sixty-four thousand dollars bonus at the end of the year was pretty good. Um, you know, nobody else got it. We did. So uh, I, I was happy about that. But you know, that money's long since gone. I mean, I've sent kids to college and stuff like I, that. I, no doubt. So yeah. So um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's just a lot more. Uh, a lot more dough in the game right now. Just, uh, you know, there were no internet sales back in the days. Not many people in stadiums had jerseys on, and, you know, or all, all kinds of uh, memorabilia running around. And it's just, it's just totally different. And I think it's good for the game. You know, the players are benefiting. Uh, the owners are certainly benefiting. Uh, there's more TV money in the game, which is good. You know, that, that's, um, I mean, now you have the, this, extravaganza of the home run derby and all that sort of thing. It's it's good. The playoffs have been expanded. Uh, You know, it keeps the fans interest because there's more uh, wild card teams and that sort of thing. I I just think the game, the rule changes that they've made, they've made the game better uh, for the most part. I think it's sped the games up. You know, I can't stay up as late as I used to. I'm I'm glad these games, I'm, I'm, I'm glad these games end up end earlier. So. All right, we agree about the rules changes. I I, I think they've been excellent. Let, let me let me wrap with this though, Ken. What you said about the culture and how that maybe has helped Aaron Hicks since he's yeah. arrived in Baltimore. I can't define how good of an X's and O's manager Brandon Hyde is. I'm not smart enough, right? I don't know the game well enough. Uh-huh. 
But what I know is whenever somebody brings up Brandon Hyde to me, I say, I, the culture that has been created in Baltimore doesn't happen despite the manager. I, there's no way that can be the case. That this of winning and and fun and these guys wanting to be around each other, I, it, he might not be the one that created it, but he's got to get credit to me for its existence. Is that a fair way of describing Brandon Hyde and what he's done in creating what the Orioles are at this point? Yeah, I, I think maybe this goes back, Glenn, to when the Orioles weren't so good when he first got there. And, uh, you know, he, he, he'd never seen the crack. I know that now he seems to be having more fun. You can see it in his press conferences before and after game. And why wouldn't you have more fun? I mean, the Orioles have a, what, a 600 winning percentage yep. at the All-Star break? So I, I just think he's, he's having more fun with it. You know, it's, it's hard day after day sitting there and, um, you know, the team loses, uh, however they do it. But I will give, uh, you know, not only high credit, I'll give Michael Lyons, the GM credit, for building a, you know, number one farm system, hitting on all these draft picks, uh, guys who uh, – you know, they developed in the minor leagues. You should give credit to uh, the whole organization for moving these guys up, getting to the big leagues, and now they're winning. And uh, it's, it's a feather in a cap for everybody. And certainly um, I, I think the attendance will pick up. I think, um, you know, especially on the weekends, you know, when, and now that the kids are out of school, I mean, everybody's going to want to see the Orioles. And uh, if, the, if the attendance doesn't go up the way they'd like, Certainly the viewership and the people listening on radio, that's going to go up. Oh, everybody's invested. There is no doubt about that. There is <laughs> a serious investment. Uh, Ken Singleton, uh, can't wait to celebrate with you guys the 40th anniversary coming up here in August. It's going to be special having everybody together. It's nice to have some, like, it, it, you know, we, you and I have been able to connect a number of times over the years. But as you pointed yeah. out, the guys that are not around here, it'll be great to see those guys. Always appreciate our conversations, my friend. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning. It is my pleasure, and uh, if you'll be there that day, I hope. So, uh, uh, you know, just make sure you say hello. I will, for sure. That's a promise, Ken. Okay. I appreciate you. Okay. Ken Bye. Singleton uh, with us here on GCR, the best. Love me some Ken Singleton. and um, You know, echoing all this. It's, it's so funny. Like, now I don't even get a chance to ask about 79. <laughs> like, when we do these. Like, now it, it comes up before I even get to the question. Like, like well, that's 79 years. A hundred percent. It's the first it's the thing. first thing you said. It's the first <laughs> thing everybody's bringing up. How, why do we win the World Series in 83? Because we needed to wipe the taste of our mouth, out of, of 79 out of our mouth. And I get it. I completely understand. And it goes back to that whole, you know, butterfly effect thing, right? Like, if, if they hadn't gone through that type of heartbreak, right? Like, if they had just been swept in the 79 World Series, would it have been the same? It's what I talked about last year with the comparison to the, the whenever the, 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 the Ravens Evans, and yeah. Lee Evans and Billy Cundiff. When everybody says, like, if I could change anything, I would have had Lee Evans caught that ball. Maybe the Ravens win back-to-back Super Bowls. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they don't win one. I don't know. I, the, everyone we talked to talked about how important it was and how that loss in New England drove them. It took a couple more years of the Orioles from 79 to 83 they're all bringing it up. Everybody who was on the 79 Now, Cal Ripken, whenever we have him on, won't have the same perspective, right? He wasn't, he was not there for 79. But it'll be interesting to learn from him how much it permeated, you know, conversation. That, like, he was still thinking about it because all of the other guys were. were. Be interesting to find that out. All right, I am, I am, 
I'm not hyperventilating because I'm not. If it was, if it was TFO, it'd be a little bit different. I'm not like Chris Eubanks is only carving a place in my heart at the moment. I hadn't thought about Chris Eubanks much. As I've tried to explain to people, he was a a mid player. He was a a guy. But all of a sudden, here at Wimbledon, and grass is definitely best his best surface, so it's not that surprising. But he is now with a chance to serve for the match against Stefano Sitsipas. And it's very difficult for me to do a show. We're, I'm gonna, this is actually going to lead to a fun conversation with Jeremy about times that we've done shows where we have been terribly distracted by something else that's been going on. Yeah. And both of us have had to do shows while Orioles games are going on. Oh, this is unfair for Jeremy. I, we'll let him. I'll let him. We'll talk like, about. I it. can't imagine doing a show like while the home run derby's on or something. Yeah, I mean, imagine. Just imagine. I think actually tonight the one hundred five seven is airing the yeah, home wait, run yes, derby. Yes. So <laughs> I don't think anybody will be put in that spot. But God, I mean, it would just be very difficult. Yeah. The number of times. Well, and like Rita and I have to do these shows on Sundays, and admittedly, the Oreo game is always earlier in the season. I don't. What was the game where Mateo, like a like a sociopath, came around? first to, like they they couldn't score a run all game god i wish i could remember what the game was they couldn't score a run all game mateo was on first and like just a maniac came all the way around on a ball that was barely i don't even think it got to the wall and came all the way around and scored and i look up and i just see the dude flying around third base and i just start screaming like they're sending him oh my god he's crazy Ah! Like I'm losing my mind as it's happening, <laughs> and this is some random game at the beginning of this. I mean, it was obviously if it was Mateo, it had to be in the first month of the year. Yeah. Um, and like it doesn't even matter all that much. Imagine doing a game. So like this year, the the playoffs oftentimes are during the afternoon. Imagine like you got to be Weinman and and Barbales and Lock and Four yeah. in them. And trying to do a radio show while there's a playoff game going. Like, imagine if you were on up against the Delman Young game. Imagine oh, trying man. to host a show in those circumstances. We used to have a policy at the old station that when events were too important, we would just put national programming on. We would we wouldn't we're like nobody's gonna listen. Why would we do this? We're gonna we're gonna bag it for the day. Um, so if like the Orioles were playing a playoff game in 2012, we weren't gonna run. In fact, I remember I did not do my show on Game 5, the Nate McLeod hit the foul pole game mm. in 2012. When I was doing afternoons over there, They're just did like, not, yeah, we're, we did not do a show. That's how it's going to be like come like, September for just that's what I'm saying. Like well, Orioles games. Well, the night games, right? Yeah. I'm saying like at, these were at, in the playoffs, you have afternoon games. And I want to say that was a Friday afternoon, maybe, the, the Nate McLeod game. I don't remember exactly what it was. But I definitely like walked in and said, what? Was it against the Tigers? It looks like this uh, the the Mateo play might have been. Yeah, might have been, been against like. the Tigers. He scores from first on. Was it a was it a like a had they not scored yet that day? No, that yeah, it was it was it was the third inning against the Tigers. No, then it's not. No, what it, it, it was late. One? It was late in the game. Oh, it okay. was like a a later. It would have been a Sunday game. It did tie the game though. Like it was one <laughs> one. Yeah, but I, I would not have been freaking out about it in the well, third inning. You never know. <laughs> like, you never know. I, wouldn't have been. You know, the it was case. a big moment. It was it was a game when they were struggling to score and it was later in the game. Whatever, it's not that big. I, it's not worth this. I know that much. I'll find it. But Rita started freaking out too. I mean, it was we were losing our damn minds. I also had a policy at the old station that like if there was a U.S. World Cup game, like the Landon Donovan game, for example, that was on. I'm like, I'm not. You want me to go up against a, a, a game to, to clinch the spot in the next round of the World Cup? No chance. Not doing it. Forget it. Not happening. 
But I have had to be on while there were significant sporting events going on at the same time, and I want to talk to Jeremy about that too. So we will do that. And, uh, you know, other front and frolic. Jeremy Kahn, 105.7 The Fan, will join us next. It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. Catch that festival feeling in Charm City. Everywhere you go, you'll find exciting entertainment, delicious eats, and endless summertime fun. Cheer on the O's at Camden Yards, pick crabs by the waterfront, beat the heat inside a world-class museum, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Go to Baltimore.org for more information and to plan your visit. I'm Michael Jan Grandy, president of A.J. Michaels, your carrier energy expert for 44 years. Save money, energy, and make your home more comfortable and virus-free. Find us at AJMichaels.com. That's AJMichaels.com. Your summer destination is closer than you think at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. With an expansive gaming floor and incredible dining options ready for you to explore, your adventure awaits. Dine at the new Coho Korean Barbecue House coming in July or on the patio at the Prime Rib. Enjoy the summertime breeze at Orchid Smoking Patio. Limited time packages starting at $229. What are you waiting for? Book now. At Arundel Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call one. 800 Gambler. All electronic tolling is here to stay in Maryland, and DriveEasyMD.com helps you cruise a little easier. We're Maryland's tolling resource, home to Easy Pass, pay by plate, and video tolling. It's never been easier to pay your way. DriveEasyMD.com will keep you moving. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Press Box. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley bomb, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. Another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. It starts on the 14th with our big hitter bobblehead, Connor Norby, for the first 750 fans. Saturday sees our special circus night with post-game fireworks. And Sunday features the Kobe Mayo Squish Pillow with special ticket package. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at baysox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox, let us be your nine-inning vacation. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches. And top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms.
If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? Holy crap. I just let out a primal scream. If you were watching the video, you just saw me lose my mind. Boy, Christopher Eubanks Punching was... the desk. And, yeah. Dude, Christopher Eubanks was trying so hard to yak this up in the fifth set. He went up a break, he blew it, he gave it right back. And then he got another break, and then he gave him multiple break points. But somehow, some way, Christopher Eubanks holds on, stuns Seven Sitsipas in five sets. And so Christopher Eubanks, I still can't believe I'm saying those words, Christopher Eubanks on to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news for him is it means he has to face Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> like... Congratulations on beating Cam Nori and Stefano Sitsipas. Now, enjoy. You get Medvedev next. Uh, what a run. What a remarkable run for uh, the American, Christopher Eubanks, uh, who is on to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon after an incredible five-set comeback win over Stefano Sitsipas. That is good stuff. Also, Medvedev got a gift today as Yuri Laheshka uh, retired after two sets. So, like, Medvedev is... He's Medvedev, and he's quite well-rested, so that's what it is. Ah, that was cool. That was awesome. I could do that more often. Still to come today at uh, Wimbledon, that big uh, Alcaraz-Berrettini matchup that I was telling you about. That one is a big-time, big-time matchup, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking Berrettini. I'm thinking Berrettini. All right, uh, today's show brought to you by... PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. PressBox is offering new sports bettors the best sign-up bonuses and promos from the seven legal online sportsbooks. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers right now and get offers like $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after placing your first $10 bet or up to $1,250 in bonus bets from Caesars. Time is limited to get the best offers from all of the sportsbooks. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers and sign up today. All right, we'll track down Jeremy here in a minute. I don't know. What, 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 what the hell is that guy's deal? What's going on with him? Is that on us? Did we screw this up? I don't think so. Are you sure? I I'm, 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 guess I'm not positive. but are we, are we doing the bit where we're not checking in with him again, where we're just taking him for granted? Uh, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah we got to remember he's the hot chick. We got to remember that. Always remember that. He's the hot chick. Like, he's the one we have to chase after. He doesn't. He doesn't need us. If we if we don't get him, we got to go to the you know, that that other girl. She's not nearly as pretty. All right, so we got to remember that in our relationship with Jeremy. We got to remember that he is the hot chick. Um, a couple things. There's some uh, news floating around this morning that I'm not. I haven't really had an opportunity to wrap my head around. But in an announcement today, the New York Times is shutting down its sports staff. It's shutting down its sports department. Which is, uh, at face value, unbelievable. You're reminded, of course, that the New York Times purchased The Athletic a couple years ago. And so what they're saying is that basically they're just going to roll The Athletic in to The New York Times. So it's not like The New York Times isn't going to do sports. It's just that like if you go to The New York Times website, I mean, I... I don't think many people still pick up the physical New York Times anymore. But if you do, you're going to see stories in the New York Times from the staff of The Athletic. 
and now it'll be integrated on their website as well. I don't know what that means. The New York Times is an interesting paper because it's like it's the paper of record, right? Like it's sort of the national paper, but it is also a local New York paper. So I don't know what that's going to mean for like daily coverage of the Mets. My understanding is, like a lot of people have talked about, they're not going to do game stories anymore. And for what it's worth, we've already seen that. And I've had that conversation on here. That Those days are over. You don't need a game story any longer. You know what happened. You watched the game. That's why anymore, like Bo Smolka on Mondays during football season at Press Box isn't writing a recap of the football game. He's writing... Five things we learned, some analysis, a mix of discussion of what occurred and analysis of what occurred with reaction from players and coaches, and that's how he takes advantage of um, the access that he has to get a bit more information for his analysis. That's what beat writer jobs have become. Game stories are dead all of the games are available to watch. At, the, the, at this point, Little League games are available to watch. If you're looking for that, you had the opportunity to find it. Game stories are no longer a thing. I don't know what this means. It, I, I don't care enough. What I do know is it's not quite as explosive as it sounds because... Again, they can just say, well, we've got the, the athletic is our sports department now, right? Like, we're just going to take it, it's all in one. It's sort of like when um, Disney bought ABC or when Disney became owners of ABC and ESPN. Imagine them having a separate sport, uh, sports staff on ABC. They were like, that would have made no sense. Why would we have a completely different, living, breathing ABC sports department? Which, once upon a time, there was an ABC sports department. There were people that worked for ABC Sports. But once they had the same company with ESPN, why would we do that? We've got our sports department. It's ESPN. They'll provide, when we decide to do sports on ABC, it'll just be ESPN people. That makes sense. But this does feel different in some sort of way. And the concern about what it means is palpable, no doubt. Like, across the country, there are going to be places where they're going to say, are we next? Like, is that is the LA Times the next to cut sports and say we can't? One of the things I've talked about for a long time is that the fear that a lot of people have is that at some point, these teams are just going to say, we don't need this anymore. We don't need anybody else here covering us. All you're going to do is ask difficult questions that we don't want. And so we're just going to have our own media. At some point, we'll have, you know, the Baltimore Ravens will say, we have a radio partner. We have, they actually don't even have, I guess WBAL is technically their TV partner. But they used to have like Masson or NBC Sports or Comcast, whatever it was called at the time. And we got our own website. We got our own podcast department. We've got our own, like, that's our media. That's all we need. We got our own social team. We don't, why do we care if the Baltimore Sun or Press Box or the Baltimore Banner or whoever it is, other radio stations, why do we care? We've got everything we need. 
And I'm not saying we're there or that this signifies the next step in getting there. I'm just saying that I understand why that question is going to continue to be asked about what it means for the future of independent, independent sports journalism. I have maintained, I don't think, I think sometimes this gets inflated. The sense of value, the sense of importance of independent sports journalism. Sometimes we say, well, it's important that we're there asking the hard questions. Well, the hard question isn't why did you go for it on fourth down? That's not that important in the grand scheme of life. We need more people to question what's going on with, like, drinking water and getting roads fixed. We need that. We don't necessarily need 30 different people to ask, why'd you go for it on fourth down? And I get what I'm saying because somebody's going to say, dude, you're suggesting that your own jobs shouldn't exist. I think there's plenty of room for opinion, analysis, all of that. But we don't, pretending like we it's very important to ask a football coach about a decision that they made in a football game. We're kidding ourselves a little bit. In the grand scheme of life, it's not that important. It is important that we hold elected officials accountable and that, you know, our institutions in this country work. And what's always brought up is that, like, well, hey, teams get public money for stadiums and we should be asking the Ravens about what they're doing with their $600 million they're getting from the state. And those things aren't nothing. They're not. Like, those are relevant topics. There was a story that popped up this weekend from um, Politico that the Orioles have hired lobbyists to try to get federal money. Now, the way the headline was written, i got to see if I can pull it back up because John and Little Rock sent it to me, and I was like, what the hell? Um, The headline was written suggesting that the Orioles are trying to get federal money for this is how the headline says Oriole lobby for federal cash for stadium redevelopment. And of course we here in Baltimore are like, dude, what? So is this the holdup on the lease? What the hell is going on, man? Like it, you just got $600 million from the state. You're trying to get more. And so the immediate reaction is, Oh God, same old Orioles, right? Like same old Orioles. Then you read the story and you realize the headline is criminal. The story, as it goes on, says this group of people began lobbying for the Orioles at the beginning of June to rally Maryland's congressional delegation in support of federal funding for infrastructure, transportation, and homeland security investments around Baltimore. Which, you know, I think we would all want. And as I said on the radio show yesterday, and I would want the same for... Sparrow's Point, or I want the same for Hampstead, or I want the same for Abingdon, or I'd want the same for Brooklyn. Maryland's Brooklyn. I don't give a rat's ass about New York's Brooklyn. Like, I I want it everywhere. Infrastructure is something we should all root for. But when you read the story, you're, the, the headline, you're like, what the F is yeah. that? And then you read the story and you say, oh no, you, you want the roads around the stadium to be fixed? You want there to be better public transportation? You, you want the traffic lights to work? Yeah, that sounds about right. Now, they've got the power to lobby to try to prioritize the downtown area ahead of, you know, Northeast or ahead of Golden Ring or wherever it would be, Mandamin. They've got the power to lobby. And so somebody would say, well, that, that's not the way the country should work. It should be that everybody gets treated the same. I, I You know, that's a, we get into murkier waters. But the point 
of lobbying for infrastructure downtown doesn't just help the Orioles. It helps everyone. The arena, the convention center, the many businesses, sliders, pickles. I don't even know if some of these restaurants are still open that I used to go to. The Wharf Rat. Is that still there? The Wharf Rat. That sounds... You've never been to the Wharf Rat? Really? No, no, I've never been. Is the Wharf Rat still downtown? Wharf I know Frank rat. and Nick's clothes are stinks. I always loved it. I, I, I never, they were never a sponsor, so I never got to talk about it, but I was a regular Frank and Nick's whenever I would go to events. Like, I'd let the, the hoi polloi, like, wander over to some of the other bars, and I'd be like, I'll just sit and have a nice dinner at Frank and Nick's ahead of the game or ahead of the event that I'm going to. That was our hangout spot when we ever, and I was very sad about losing Frank and Nick's. That sucks. Um, but any of these places. Looks like it's still around. Yeah, the hotels yeah. benefit from it. The people that do live in the immediate vicinity of the stadium, they would benefit from it. It ain't just the team. Now, I'm still not opposed to the questions being asked. I want the questions to be asked, but I also want them to be asked of the, again, congressional delegation that would be fighting for the project. Are you making sure that you're treating them and everyone else fairly? How are you prioritizing what federal money you're fighting for? All of those things. I know I kind of took a, a turn from starting this about the New York Times because the truth is I don't subscribe to the New York Times and I don't, personally, it's not going to impact me in any way. But the question is, is there a ripple effect? I don't know because the New York Times has another sports department. They literally had two different sports departments and sort of said, now we're just going to have one. And apparently they're not laying anybody off. So I can't get all that worked up about it. I'm going to guess, as I read the story, apparently like most of the people in the sports staff will be given other assignments and so i'm gonna guess there'll be some people within the sports staff that'll say nah we're good like we'd rather not go cover the courts that's not all that interesting to us we'd rather go somewhere else and cover sports but if they're not laying anybody off then it's hard for me to portray the new york times as evil right like they're keeping the staff intact they're just sort of redistributing how they cover sports that probably moves some people over to the athletic won't replace the fact that they dropped Dan Connolly, and I'm still not okay with that. But I don't know. I don't know what the impact is long-term of that. All right, do we just move on and do the other segment? Yeah, I think let's so. Let's just make sure he's okay, right? Yeah. Like, let's just make – that yeah. does concern me a little bit. I, I I love my guy, and I'm a bit worried about that. All right, why don't, how about we do this? Why don't you call that other guy? I, I did try that. Oh, you tried that yes, already? I did try that. And is it, do you think the number is uh, Yeah, I do. I do. Did you just try sending a text? Yes, All right. I, did. Well, I did. Who knows? Who yeah, knows? Who knows? <laughs> I, I love that guy, by the way. I was such a fan. Oh, my God. Very high on the list. Very high on the list of, I don't want to say who it is, but like I, I think everybody knows that there are certain like guys that never played for the, a local team that I just loved watching play. Joe Montana was the first like non-Baltimore athlete that I ever felt. And I, I don't know who was the first. Joe Montana was high on the list. Everybody knows Kenny Lofton was my guy. Was my guy. I love Kenny Lofton. Everybody loved Ken Griffey Jr., so I almost don't count it, right? Like... It, if, if you were breathing, you love Ken Griffey Jr. The next guy I truly fell in love with was Ichiro. Like, Ichiro was the next dude I truly fell in love with watching play baseball. Like, I I was the guy that, you like... Definitely, you definitely have a type, yeah. When he was 40... Well, I guess... Yeah, I don't know. They're a yeah. little bit different. But, but I, I get what you're yeah. saying. But, like, I'm not... It's not... And, by the way, this guy that we're talking about is nothing yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was a hitter. He wasn't just... Like, the donkeys are the ones that do nothing for me. McGuire never did anything for me. Uh, I mean, McGuire, I think, is maybe the most overrated baseball player of all time. And it's not just because of steroids. It's because 
before he was using steroids, he wasn't that good. Like, we compare Mark McGuire to Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was a great eternal baseball player. Mark McGuire was a guy that hit a bunch of home runs, a lot of which aided by steroids. I don't know that Mark McGuire, without steroids, is even a Hall of Fame caliber baseball player. Sammy Sosa probably was. He was a little bit closer. He wasn't Barry Bonds, but he was a little bit closer to a complete baseball player. Um, I mean, Bonds was the definition of a complete baseball player. It's funny because you would think that I would be in love with Trout now. I guess it just... I don't get to watch Mike Trout. Right, exactly. Like, I, the, I don't know why... the it, Angels problem. Ichiro, you know? Kenny Lawton. Yeah, that is true. Those, Ichiro, I guess. Those were my two favorite. My absolute... Those were one and two on my absolute favorite. Not, Dude, I was so desperate. When, when Ichiro was at the end... And just wanted another crack to play. The following season, like, dude, bring him in, bring him in. Just, I think I wrote a column about it for Press Box. I'm like, just let <laughs> me, let me have this. I had to put up with Jim Tomey at the end. Donkey couldn't help it all. Buck Showalter was still in love with him because he remembered Buck Showalter had. I love Buck, but he had this problem where, like, when he got a player, he thought of them as what they were instead of what they are. Like he truly believed Vladimir Guerrero was still Vladimir Guerrero when when yeah, he showed he up in Baltimore. He no, he was not. No, he was not. He was definitely Vladimir he Guerrero. Absolutely, you got to turn uh, Grant's uh, microphone back on. He absolutely believed that Jim Tomey was definitely still. He put Jim Tomey in the middle of a lineup in 2012. He stunk. He stunk. And Buck's hit, like, let's have him hit clean up. The two of them were both out of their prime by the it's time. It's not that they were out of their prime. It was over. Yeah, yeah. Right. It was done. What there was. He hit like what six twelve was that? Uh, what home run did he hit with the Orioles? Uh, Jim Tomey. Oh, like a significant was, one, maybe yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I That's don't remember. Right, yeah. I don't remember. And it was against Cleveland too. Mm. Oh. Yes. Yeah. God, Jim Tomey. Oh. And like I don't, I have no reason to hate Jim Tomey. I just hate the fact that people still thought he was Jim Tomey when he showed up in Baltimore. I mean, but, I, I always look back on that. I remember when we acquired him, and I knew the 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 big future Hall of Fame name yeah. he was. I think it's still pretty cool that he ended his career with the Orioles. Yeah, it right. doesn't doesn't do you're a right. damn it, it, doesn't it did, do a damn thing. For it did it did little in our playoff push that year. He actually hit better in Baltimore than he did in Philly that year. He had two forty two in Philly, two fifty seven in Baltimore. So. There's that. Anyway, I don't know why it is that I'm going war on Jim Tomey. Let's. Uh, I'm sure we've got the open. Yeah, he passed. Uh, um, bad news. Had a had a yeah had a busy busy weekend. So I, we'll get get around I, to it. A weekend. Yeah. You know the last time we did the segment was last Monday. I, we yes, talked about yeah, it, yeah, right? Sure. Like you understand that? Yeah. Okay. We got the, the summer is going to be over I, by the I time know, you get the the open made. We we have to fix that. Put in a reminder every night this week. Until it gets done. It's time for this week in the rest of baseball. With Grant, who uh, I still never came up with a nickname for. Sorry. It's just what it is. Want me to throw some out there that I've that the, he, called me before? Yeah, yeah, throw, what, do, heard, what have you been called before? What you I've heard called? G Money. Yeah. G DeVive. G DeVive. Okay. That's a popular I don't want a rap Stevenson. nickname. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm G looking for something more. See, he gets it. <laughs> Like you know what they call uh you know baseball because Grant's a baseball guy and we call him the dirt bag because that's a that's a thing that's not a it's a thing in baseball to be a you want to be a dirt bag you want to be a guy that's yeah what are the the Dustin Pedroia type right like yeah. that's what we're talking about with the Jordan Westberg right. uh, hat trick a couple weeks ago you want to be the guy that's laying out making plays sliding into bases getting dirty the dirt bag I don't know I'll you were talking about not earlier non local guys that you fall in love with early on that was my guy oh God don't say that I mean, out loud oh I'm gonna you know what? We might cancel the segment now. <laughs> God. All right. Uh, this is Grant's opportunity to get us caught up on what's going on that has nothing to do 
with the Orioles. Uh, what's uh, what's at the top of your list? We were just talking about uh, Enrique Bradfield as the first round pick. Picks one and two, both LSU guys. Mm-hmm. Paul Skeens to the Pirates, number one, and Dylan Cruz, number two, to the Nationals. That is the first time. There was a lot of hubbub in the days leading up to the draft about the Pirates, like really going um, under slot and going with like Wyatt Langford, oh. or there were a couple other names that were being thrown around. It's interesting because I still think that most people believe that Dylan Cruz is the best player that was in this draft. But in the week leading up to the draft, there were more people that were suggesting that like the right decision is to take schemes. I think it is too. And so I think the folks in Pittsburgh are not like they are not thinking this was oh this is them being cheap or this is them getting too cute. I think the reaction in Pittsburgh is they got the right guy. Now, for the most part, the thought is that both these dudes are rock stars, it's and we certainly saw choose. it. Yeah, we certainly saw it during uh, the College World Series that. I mean, these guys are unbelievable. Yeah, and it seems like Skeens is pretty surefire as far as it as far as it that goes. remote, by the way. Now that the Eubanks yeah. match is over, mm-hmm. I got it. It's right in front of you, literally right on the table. There, yeah, yeah I'm pointing oh. at it. Thank oh, okay. you. I appreciate I that. Down here. Yeah, but um, I mean, because they, they were comparing him to Garrett Cole and Strasburg, and 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 I think David Price was another comp that they threw out there, and yeah. they all worked out pretty yeah, good. Sounds like so. the type of comparisons that you want. Right. Yeah, the last number one overall pick they had for a pitcher worked, and that was Garrett Cole. 2011, yeah. but it's, it, it is hard to choose. I mean, in, in the long run, yes, the Pirates do need outfielders. You only lock, in my opinion, is Brian Reynolds, but you can't go wrong with Skeens either, throwing in a, a really, really solid arm. I, I mean, if this is a generational pitching talent, right? That's like, it's a rare pick. It's a rare find. Yeah, you don't get that very frequently. No. Now, there's far more risk, as people have pointed out, over the years about taking a pitcher that's the that's the the Mike Elias bit right like that's the I'm not I'm just not going to do it I won't take pitchers now there also wasn't this guy at the top of either of the drafts that the Orioles were selecting number no. 1 overall there was no conversation about like com- ironic right Kamar Rocker at one point yeah was thought of to be that guy during the process like dude that's the guy you're going to end up getting well you know, down with Tommy John surgery. Thankfully, that wasn't the guy, and the Orioles knew it wasn't like the Orioles had a decision to make by that point. He had already kind of removed, been removed from the conversation by the time they made the pick. Um, but there is look, uh, you could look over the years. There have been. It's the reason why we talk about Mark Appel, right? Who ultimately got to the bigs, but not the way. They certainly thought. not the guy that you thought you were getting. Um, there is a lot of risk that that comes with taking a pitcher that high. There are too many things. Physically, injuries right. that mm-hmm. become an issue with a pitcher that you could be risking. This was your opportunity to bring in a generational baseball player of some sort, and you ended up dealing with a guy that physically wasn't able to make it. And that's the risk. I, I like. I understand it. It to me, it was almost the argument for why you do it at seventeen with the Orioles when you weren't willing to do it at the top of the draft, right? Like you can, you can miss on a seventeenth pick and survive. You can't miss on a number one, number two type of pick, but you can miss on a 17th pick and and sleep at night, right? Like you can say, hey, th- this happens. This is the way that it goes. Um, for the record, the pitchers over the years that have gone number one overall, Brady Aiken. I haven't heard him in a long time. He was the last one before last night. Yikes. Oh, no, sorry. I forgot about Casey Mize. But even Casey Mize, right? Like we, we were all hot and bothered about Casey Mize and – like we he was rising and everything and he has definitely not been that guy at all 
Before that, it was Brady Aiken. That was a mess. Before that, it was Mark Appel. Now, as you pointed out, the one before that was the one the Pirates took in 2011, which was Garrett Cole. And then the complicated story of Steven Strasburg in 09, who definitely panned out. It was just a short-term pan out, but that short-term pan out helped you win a World Series. So, you know, you'll live with the fact that it didn't end up being long-term and you'd sunk a bunch of money in. Like, I... Once you win a World Series, who gives a rat's ass, right? Like, who cares? But So I, that's a hit. And the one before that was David Price, who was obviously a hit. Uh, Luke Hoshaver in 06 was also a number one overall pick. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Or Hochevar. Because I, I remember yeah, we said Hoshaver. We said Hoshaver yeah. for a while, and then a bunch of people were like, Hochevar. We're like, I don't know. Hockevar. Yeah. Sure, we'll go with that. Whatever it is. All right, anything else you want to say from the draft? Um, not really, besides. We talked about Matt Shaw, obviously, mm-hmm. going 13th overall. That's a cool story. I would like to see that Nationals outfield one day because they got a lot of outfield depth down in the minors. You got Wood, <laughs> Green, uh, mm-hmm. maybe Robert Hassel the third one day. But if you put three of those four out there one yep. day, because I don't see any of the current outfielders they have sticking around long term for their next playoff push. But you put those three out there one day, or you decide to get somebody else, a veteran, when it's time to make a trade. Uh, I mean, Cruz will headline that that prospect list of outfielders. Yep. But it's not bad company with James Wood. Or Elijah Green behind him if they if they all pan out. Yeah, Elijah Green's gotten off to a bit of a slow start. Yeah, I was just looking at his numbers. It's um, small sample size, but yeah, it's not. It's a, a guy slow that start. I like, connected with again, someone who we thought at the time was going to end up being the the target for the Orioles at number one. When we found out the Orioles were going to have the number one pick, he was the leader in the clubhouse, and has a unique local story, of course, because his dad played for the Ravens. Um, and so I connected with him, had some conversations with him. So I'm kind of I'm. I, I find my, it was good to catch up with his dad, who I hadn't talked to in years, and I was like, "Yeah, this is neat, right?" And like, so I've kind of been following a little bit. Like, I poke in on Elijah Green, and um, you know, it's not been it's not been good. There's no way kind of around it. He has not gotten off to a great start uh, to his pro career. He is currently hitting two eighteen with Fredericksburg, three homers. Is that the low A level or is that the That's high the A level? Lowest level? That's yep. the lowest level. Same level with uh, Delmarva. Yikes! He does have 22 Yikes. stolen bases though, but that's yeah, not, doesn't help the the 645 OPS. And he does get on base at a 327 clip, right? Like that's the interesting. Again, he's yeah. he's not. It's not like he's not getting on base. It, 327 isn't good enough. Like I'm gonna make that bit abundantly clear. But for a 218 hitter, he's getting on base yeah. fairly well. He just he's not hitting well enough. There's no doubt about 106 that. 106 strikeouts in 58 games. Not great. No. Not great. Again, you're feeling very comfortable about Jackson Holiday at the moment. Who uh, and we haven't talked about that, obviously. Jackson Holiday gets another bump. He's on his way to Bowie. See him in a couple, in a week or so. Kobe Mayo and Chase McDermott on their way to Norfolk or Norf McDermott's Nor- is well deserved too. Don't sleep on that guy either. Um I you know, I it certainly appears to be something, right? I don't know exactly what it is, but certainly appears to be something. Uh, there was somebody else who moved yesterday too. Right? Um, Am I forgetting? So Holiday to Double A, yeah, McDermott uh, two, and Mayo to Triple A. I feel like there was something else on the minor league transaction list yesterday, and I've already forgotten what it would have been. So Zimmerman to Triple A. Yeah, that that's the other. Yes, that went the other way. And, yeah, all right, whatever. Who yeah, cares? Who cares. All right, very good. Is that We're, it? What? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't have it. Okay. If, if there was a fourth, I thought there was, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong. I didn't see a fourth. Maybe one now. All right, all right. Maybe I maybe I was doing. Uh, Ayahuasca or something. I don't know. Were you really? No, I wasn't. <laughs> I could have sworn as I was looking, I saw something else. Next. Well, that's all I have from the draft besides yep. those two being the first to go number one and two as teammates, uh, which I thought was pretty um, pretty interesting to read. 
Um, in terms Do of do me a favor, Grant. Hold the microphone more like this. Don't talk down into it. Talk into it. Yes, like that. Thank you. That's that much sounds better. better yeah. Much better. Uh, besides the draft, the Yankees trying to change some direction in their offensive approach. First of all, by firing their hitting coach Dylan Lawson, but there's got to be something else they're going to do besides that. Their batting average is third worst in baseball, 231. 710 OPS is 21st, but still, there's got to be other things going on that they got to switch around. Um, the only big name that I know is on the IL is Judge, but a lot of just underperforming. We were talking about Donaldson earlier, the 10 homers. Yeah, that's a crazy. Hits. That's a crazy stat. His OPS is 697. Um, Stanton's having a down year, nine homers, and he's been practically playing the, almost the full season. Seven to two OPS. Volpe's, you know, rookie year, rookie jitters. I get it, but still not great numbers as as a highly touted prospect coming in. Two sixteen, six eighty two OPS. Um, I don't, I don't even know what they do right now with the forty nine forty two record, uh, and they've fallen behind now in the wild card race. Well, I don't care for the record. I yeah. mean, this is the difficult. For a, for I don't. Orioles fans. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't want them to do any better. So who gives a rat's ass, right? Like I, yeah. I, I, you know, I've got nothing to say here. I, I, they, they fired their hitting coach. This one wasn't quite as good. This one wasn't quite as helpful. I needed more of a breakdown of that. Well, this I one. think you, you want us to pour on, pour on on the Yankees, right? Just sure. We just keep talking about Yankees. how garbage yeah. they are. No, um, no. I have nothing I else mean, to add. Nothing else to add to that. Is Judge? Is, do they have an update on Judge, or like is he still he's like still out down. Definite, he's definitely still down. Okay. Yeah. All I right. mean, what else do you got? <laughs> well, um, we got the Rays. I know we're fighting back and forth with them, but I mean, I'm I'm not trying to encourage any injuries or any sort of bad news, but uh, they did suffer a loss in their starting rotation. Uh, Drew Rasmussen down for the rest of the year. Oh. And man. when you think about they're starting pitching, and the guys that are currently on the IL, McClanahan's still there, Shane Baz is still there. Oh, who's they, starting the All-Star game? Mm, have they announced that yet? I don't think they have. Because McClanahan was last year. I don't, yeah, well, I McClanahan would have been the guy. Yeah. Like, McClanahan was the obvious choice I don't to start see, the All-Star game. I don't you know, see. by the way, I looked at um, ESPN's Cy Young uh, predictor. You know Felix Batista up to second. He should win He should win it. In the American League so under Cy Young. McClanahan still, still now they, they He won't. McClanahan's still number one. But Batista is up to second on that list. I mean, it's insane. He's throwing two strikeouts per inning. That's that's unheard of. That's never happened in baseball history. Even a Aroldis Chapman never had a season like that. Now, I don't think he's going to finish the season with that number. But if he does, somehow, if somehow Felix Batista he's finishes top with three two strikeouts finisher. per inning, like, there's going to have to be a real conversation about Felix Batista as a... Cy Young winner. It's insane because he's up to number two on the list. So yeah, I don't know if McClanahan's not not going to pitch. Who's going to start the All Star game? I, it doesn't to, really matter who yeah. actually cares, but I, think they I just Felix don't even, I still think they should start Felix Bautista. Yes, you're start the game. Fire in Everybody else is very excited about the idea of like Batista finishing the game with Adley Rutschman, like Batista yeah, to Rutschman finishing cool. the game. I, there will be zero chance that I will be watching Alex, the game. Alex Cobb got added to the All Star roster. Ah, good for Alex Cobb. <laughs> good for Alex Cobb. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really anybody's guess, I guess, at this point. Osman? Valdez, from Valdez, Nathan Ivaldi, like, those are the two best, probably the two best. Yeah, probably. Valdez was probably the one. That's yeah, probably that's, the guy yeah. who starts the All-Star game. All right, that's uh, that's it. That's all we got for now. Yeah, this one wasn't quite as good as last week. Last week was your, your high bar. Yeah, last week mark. was the one. Last week was a high water mark. There was conversation to be had. There was discussion, all of that. This one, not not quite as good. That's okay. That's okay. All good. Life will go on. I did see um, 
They put out a ranking of jersey sales. Let me see if mm. I can pull that what's up. LA, what's LA De La Cruz up to? Is he, uh, is he like I don't know one? if this if there was enough time for uh, him okay, to. Okay, so he might not. His all right. His I got the top. Register. I got the top twenty. Let's do it. Just all of them. Yeah, go ahead. Tell okay. me who. Tell me. Uh, MLB's jersey sales. Yep. Aaron Judge. Uh, Aaron Judge is fourth. Okay. Um. Just name players. What are, what are you guys doing? Did you, did, name players. Did you just pull up the list? I don't I've got see the list. list. Why would you Grant? do that, Grant? All right, I'm just trying me. to do a segment, Grant. You got to learn this. How radio works. We're trying to do <laughs> content now. Grant taps me. This like, is. Look, I this you is. Us to help you out. No. Uh, no. Otani. Otani is number two. Actually, there is really? somebody higher than Otani on the list. Acuna. Acuna is number one. All right, yes. Acuna all right. is number one. Um. It, Adley's got to be top 20, I feel like. Everybody Adley is number 18. Let's go. There you go. Just snuck into the list. Freeman's got to be on there somewhere, too. Didn't you just look at the list? I didn't go that far into it. What are you doing, man? Well, Mookie bets. You can't look at the list and then try to guess. Grant, you got we got to work on you how radio works. We got to work on that. Uh, Freeman, by the way, is on the list. He's 16th. Uh, you right. said who? Mookie Betts? Yeah, Mookie Betts. Yeah, Mookie Betts is sixth. All right, all right. Six. Yeah. Uh, so Trout's still pretty high. Uh, Trout is number 10. All right, 10 for Trout. Yep. Let's. Hmm. Uh, by the way, for the record, De La Cruz is not on the list. Darn. That's surprising. Probably not. Probably well, it's not enough amazing. time. Yeah, yeah right? Um, not enough time. All right, let's see. Who else would be on the Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is not on the list. I guess pitchers, maybe. Yeah, that's a good one. Grant, did you look at the list or not? Hey, if you look at the list, you can't guess. I got a good one. Julio Rodriguez. Thank you. <laughs> you can't guess, Grant. You have to turn Grant's microphone off or something. Like, he's doing – you can't – once you look at the list, you're disqualified. I'm sorry. God bless you. This is not a personal thing. Uh, not yet. We'll see <laughs> how it goes. You can't look at the list and then compete. Go ahead. Keep going, Grant. Uh, Julio. Yes, seven. Okay. Oh, seven. Okay. Yes. All right, so I need five. Who would be five? You need uh, three, too. Oh, yes, right. I do it. I don't three, oh, oh, three, I, five, I read, eight. I read Betts is three. He's Betts is six. Okay. What was Freeman? Freeman was a s- Freeman was sixteen. Okay. Um. Hmm. Who? 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 Uh. Let's go. Rafael Devers. Devers is not on the list. I don't know. Yeah. Bad guess. Bad guess. Uh. I w- Randy Rosarena. Randy Rosarena is not on the list, and that okay. is a little bit surprising. Yeah. I, there, there's got to be a Ranger. Corey Seager. Corey Seager is number fifteen. Okay. Adolis Garcia. Yeah, uh, he, he might not be well yeah I don't enough. think I don't yeah. think that. Yeah. Um. All right, who? Uh, Corbin Carroll is maybe Corbin Carroll yeah, too not, soon too. It, which it's funny because you would think. And also, yeah. the Diamondbacks are kind of. Yeah. I don't want to say irrelevant, but you know. Peter Alonso. Pete Alonso is not on the list. Man, in New York. That's a little surprising. Slugger. I agree. Yeah. That's a little surprising. So no Mets. Only one. So is there only one Yankee? Aaron Judge. Uh, there is not another Yankee on the list. Wow. Okay. Um. Hmm. Who? I mean, I guess good for the rest of baseball then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Spreading the wealth out a little bit. <laughs> um. Luis Robert. Luis Robert not on the list. Probably no white. So I mean, I feel like Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson is not on the list. Got a terrible year. Hmm. Yeah, you yeah, really slowed down. Know, this I, was I, going well going, for a minute, and then it really fell apart. Team team here. It's a shame Grant looked at the list and can't help. Jose Ramirez. No, Jose Ramirez. Jeez. All right, I gotta get out of the American League. That's the league I know best. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Get into the, it's the only league that matters in my mind. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, let's go. San Francisco. Who, who's going on the Giants this year? Mm. 
Jeff I'll just go Jeff ahead. Peterson and, there is no Giants. giants. Lamonte Wade. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep. It's not Lamonte. Lamont Wade. Just Lamont. Sorry. Yeah. Um, maybe more Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw is twentieth. Yes. Gosh, that was, that was just cool. I was on a really cold spell. Yeah, right? Long cold spell yeah. there. Um, it was worse hmm. than me my freshman year of college. Just a tough, <laughs> just a tough, tough scene. Putting on the pounds. <laughs> hey, um, ladies, just had an entire pizza at late night. You want to come over? Tough scene. Uh, all right, who's okay? Let's go with uh, Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado is not on the list. Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt is not on the Jeez. list. Jeez. Man, um, heavy from a couple of teams. O'Neill Cruz, not not the Pirates, not yeah, the team, not, not heavy Pirates. Heavy from a couple of teams. They're they're more Joey Votto, Cincinnati Reds. John, uh, Joey Votto is thirteenth actually. All right, there Joey go. Votto. There you go. That's not the team that was heavy from, but he is on the list. Heavy from a couple teams. Heavy what from teams a couple of teams. Have I completely skipped over so far? I mean, you haven't necessarily skipped over one of these teams, but no. you could have gone deeper on one of these teams. Mm, uh, Marlins wouldn't have any. Let's go with uh, Edwin Diaz, like the Mets. Or no, no? Uh, wrong, wrong direction. Now, there is a Met that you uh, haven't gotten. Who else on the Mets? Yeah. Uh, oh, Lindor. Lindor. Frankie Lindor. Lindor is fourteenth. Yes. Um. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Wh- wh- what do I have left? You have. T- you need three, five, eight, nine, eleven, twelve, seventeen, nineteen. Okay. All right, a so couple what? guys from. Uh, there's three guys from a team that you've missed. There's uh, like heavy on a few teams. Uh, I just gotta start going uh, team. I just gotta start going team by team here. Just start, name a team. I'll tell you if it's them. Okay. Uh, uh the 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 Astro, uh, the Astros. I have not named a single Astro. <laughs> I would have started. Yes. Come on. Uh, Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is 17. All right. Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker is not on the list. Hmm. Um, Verlander's not on the list. I mean, he's not an Astro anymore. But Verlander's not on the not on the list. He's not on the list. Scherzer's not on the list. No. Okay. Why, why, you, I know. You I figured know out you should be guessing Astros, and then you stopped guessing Astros. Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez is not on the list. Uh, Luis Garcia. Not Luis Garcia. Uh, um, who's that? Jeremy Pena. Not Jeremy Pena. Jeez. What? You're overthinking Jose it. Abreu. Jose Abreu is not on the yeah, list, but a, but maybe think that through again. Uh, Jose. Uh, what other Jose do they have? Oh, Jose Altuve. My God. Jose Altuve, of My course. My God. <laughs> and how about one more? Uh, and don't overthink Jose? it. No, not another Jose, just another Astro. Don't overthink it. Who's good on the Astros? The best not- players. The ones that have been most known for the longest amount of time. It, it, Carlos Correa is not on the team anymore. I'm aware of that. Yeah. Uh, why, am I thinking, why am I blanking on the what best Astros? What is going on? Are you having a stroke? I guess so. Alex Bregman is oh, number Alex nine Bregman. on the list. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. The Astros have been having a forgettable season. Who's another good team? Maybe one that won a World Series recently. Uh, the Braves. The Braves! Ozzie Albies. Ozzie Albies is number 12 on the list. All right, Ozzie Albies. How about another Brave? Uh, Spencer Strider. Not Spencer Strider. Um, who else is it? Michael Harris. Not uh, Michael Harris. Austin Riley. Austin Riley's Austin number Riley. 11. How about that? Um, Got to get back in the top 10 here. Yeah. Uh, this one was a bit surprising. It's like it's the power of the fan base. Okay. One more Brave. Oh, one more Brave. Yes, one more okay. Brave. He's been very good. I was just surprised that he was top ten in jersey sales. It's not Michael Harris. It's not Michael Harris. I already told you. Yeah, that. yeah. Well, I'm just thinking it through. Yeah, right. Um, who's playing? Or, or Orlando Arcia? It's not Orlando yeah. Arcia. Oh, Matt Olson. Matt Olson. Matt Olson. Number of eight. Yes. Matt Olson is number eight. Now there's one other team that has number three and number nineteen. 
They're not very good. They're not very good. But we expected them to be very good. Ah, Manny Machado. Manny Machado is number 19 on the list. Fernando Tatis. Number three. There you go. All right. Ay, ay, ay. That was, that was an adventure. I wouldn't have done well, for the record. I would have struggled. I might have remembered if I had gotten all of the context clues that you got from me. <laughs> the good players on the Astros. Oh, huh? Alex Bregman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Named Jose. I was gonna say uh, Mauricio Dubon. Uh, not, not, not great. That was not great. All right, uh, very good. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today. Now I'm gonna get to embarrass myself. Tidbit yeah. is brought to you today by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. The Rays were on uh, a seven-game losing streak before they uh, snapped that uh, snapped that losing streak with a win against the Braves yesterday. They went 35-15, and uh, which is the best home record in all of baseball. They also entered the All-Star break leading the AL East for the first time in franchise history. Um, so maybe a little scary if we're you know comparing you know the last time the Orioles won a World Series seven game losing streak the Rays now have a seven game mm. losing streak to their name mm. don't like uh, that yeah no. uh, Ellie De La Cruz he became the only player in Major League Baseball history after playing his thirtieth career game to have forty hits and fifteen stolen bases in his first thirty career mm, games it's pretty nuts yeah uh, and then on this day yesterday so yesterday in two thousand two the MLB All Star game ended in a seven to seven tie. Yeah. As yeah, both teams yeah. ran out of available players. I was at my grandparents' house in Georgia, and I, everybody had gone to bed. And you were staying up to watch the, le- the 11th I, inning. Because this is back when you know I was still a nerdy baseball fan. This is uh, I was 19, 18, whatever I was at the mm-hmm. time. And I, like I remember being so befuddled. What? They, like, and, and, of course, the, the infamous image of, of Bud Selig shrugging. Like, <laughs> I just remember being so befuddled by them not doing anything. That like I made a, end, a home run derby I made a noise yeah. that woke my family up. Now I was an adult by this point, so I didn't give a rat's ass. Like I wasn't gonna get in trouble. Like we were down visiting my grandparents, um, but I was just so perplexed. Just a what? What in the world? In fact, this was a a, a great trip. I went to visit my grandparents, but I took my buddy. Uh, my buddy Barry came with me, and we went to see the Cubs play the Braves. When Sammy Sosa was in like the height, and then we went to the Dave Matthews Band in Atlanta the following night. So we had a pretty good. It was a decent little, wow, yeah. decent little trip. Tory Hunter, trip. of course, uh, robbed Barry Bonds of a home run. Remember it well. The first inning, of and the, then Barry Bonds came out and picked yeah, him up, put him pissed. over his shoulder, yes. the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so now I have a random one for I, the trivia here. God, I used to care so much about the All Star Game. Like I, I, I no. No, no, and then of course, like the, well, the, the, the I mean, if Alex Cobb's gonna be pitching for everybody yeah. that does, for, if if you're at a age where you don't know this, that that All Star Game is famous because it was what led to this asinine thing where they tried to make the All Star Game determine who got home field advantage for the World Series. So it never ended the, a tie again. The dumbest things that's ever happened in the history of baseball. Uh, so I have a random one now. We're going to football because uh, All right. I don't have a lot of – there wasn't a lot of other trivia. I hope it's around. not who was worn jersey number 26 because that popped up, popped up on Immaculate Gridiron. Oh, as soon as I see that, I just say, nope. 26. I pass. I'm not a doing – single player. I, Gino I, Stone. Love you. Yeah, thank you. Love you, Immaculate Gridiron. Didn't uh, DeJuan Landry – was he at 26? Uh, was he? That, or was he like 30? No. Mm, yeah, I, I guess he was. Now. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he was 30. I don't know. I'll look. Um, um, but I, I, Sorry. I, I like all these games, but if you're going to ask me jersey numbers, I'm out. All right. I'll do jersey numbers I'm out. tomorrow. I'm out. Um, 
so the so this stat was going around. The only there were only two players last season, linebackers, to have a hundred tackles, five sacks, two interceptions, and five pass deflections last season. There were only two players to do that in all all of football. It was a hundred tackles, five okay. sacks, two interceptions, five passes deflected. So you, I mean, these and sound so relevant to uh, these relevant sound to like off ball linebackers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with Roquan. Uh, it was not Roquan. Was it Patrick Queen? It Patrick Queen was one of them. It's pretty funny. Yeah, you hate him. Uh, yeah, what, I know. What a piece well, I mean, of crap you are. Stats. No, they're just stats. The interceptions fell into his hands you twice. Hate, you hate Patrick Queen. Uh, Off-ball linebacker that had five sacks? You said five? Yes. C.J. Mosley? Uh, C.J. No, not C.J. Mosley. It's a West. plays on the West Coast. Bobby Wagner? Bobby Wagner. Okay. Bobby Wagner and Patrick Queen. Uh, so did Patrick Queen also became the fourth Ravens linebacker to ever do this. It's Jeremy Kahn. Hang on oh, a second. I'm going to just I'll, I'll okay. handle this right now. You're just like... You, you didn't die, right? It's it's all good. It's all it's it's all good. Kinda... I'm... Oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm 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 fin- I'm finishing. I'm actually I I no I don't. And don't tell me because I'm 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 doing. I I did the bit where I answered the call as I was doing the show. <laughs> so yeah. So don't don't tell me. I'll call. It... Yeah yeah. Don't say anything. I'll call you as soon as the show's over. All right. All right. I I love you, buddy. All right. He's 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 okay. Thank God. That's all that I need to know. Very he's okay. Yeah. That was the important part. And he and the other Ravens that had 100 tackles, five sacks, two interceptions, and five pass deflections in a season. Hun- five Ravens? There were, there's four. Four. four so Ravens. Queen was the fourth. Queen was the fourth. So there's three other players. 100 tackles. Yes. Five sacks. Five sacks. Two picks. Two picks. And then five pass deflections. So well, I'm going to guess Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis is one of them, yeah. Only um, 18 players have ever done this. It's past well, I mean, the Ravens have a pretty stat. good history of yes. off-ball linebackers, so it's not really all that surprising and, that they would have a number of them. And past defenses have became a stat in 2001. So I'll, that's, I'll, I'll say Mosley. Uh, not C.J. Mosley. Okay, then I'll say Bart Scott. Bart Scott, indeed. <laughs> um, I, yeah, Adelius. Uh, not Adelius. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't... Yeah. Other off-ball linebacker that... Would have had. Hang on! Don't don't okay. all right, all right. don't you son of a bitch! Don't do it. <laughs> okay. Jamie Sharper. No. Ed Hartwell. Not Ed Hartwell. A little too. Uh... Uh, settle down. Th- Stop it, you god! You're like Grant when he looks Whoa, up the names. No, you can't help like yourself. That. that is not like what Grant. No, but I just him. told you to settle down and keep it in your pants, and you can't. You're not physically capable of doing that. All right, I'll sit back. I'll sit back. <sighs> I was just trying to fill the air, bridge the gap a little bit. Well, say something else. Say right. something interesting. Tell, regale us with a tale. Looks there was like a very nice attractive day. woman who walked by earlier. <laughs> Jeremy, yes. by the way, in that it was like, uh, do you know what's going on? I'm like, I don't. Whatever it is, don't say it because you're about to tell other people. <laughs> it's not something you're supposed to. Um. All right. How about Danelle Ellerby? Not Danelle Ellerby. Jamil McLean. Not Jamil McLean. How about? How about? Oh man, this is interesting. All right, sh- shut up. I already see your face. I, all right, I'm not saying I that, already I'm not see saying your face. I'm just admiring, you know, the nice day outside today. Is it a trick because it's not an off-ball linebacker? Um, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he, he, I guess he was. Yes, technically a middle linebacker. He was a middle linebacker. Yeah. But okay, that's what I'm. Yeah. Middle linebacker that I haven't named yet. It's not Tavares Gooden. It's not Tavares Gooden. 
Daryl Smith. Daryl Smith okay. is indeed right. the fourth and final. Well, I guess he was the third Raven to ever do it, but yes, he was the fourth Daryl Smith Raven was also. very productive yes. as a Baltimore Raven. Did it in the first year that, uh, that you know we were looking for our Ray Lewis replacement, 2013. It's a dynamite time for us to do mm-hmm. a, a, Ra- a Ravens tackles tidbit. This is definitely the time of year. Where that's you want to try to name any of the other guys that did it, have did it, done it recently? Like in the NFL? Yeah. Fred Warner. Fred Warner actually did not do this. That's a little surprising. Yeah. There's another uh, San Francisco linebacker, middle linebacker. Another San Francisco middle linebacker who did it? That's still in San Francisco? No. He did it uh, the same year uh, Daryl Smith did it, actually. Oh, um, Patrick Willis. Not Patrick Willis. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Navarro Bowman? Navarro Bowman. 100 tackles and two L- interceptions. Luke and five Keekly? Uh Luke Keekley actually did not do this. There was another... Uh, another, Carol- Panther? Yeah, another Panther? Dan Morgan? Not Dan Morgan. 2015. All right, tell me. Thomas just, Davis. Thomas Davis. All right, yeah, that Thomas makes Davis. sense. Yeah. Uh, Shaq Leonard did it twice uh, okay. for the Colts back to back years. Okay. Um, Levante David on this list. Carlos Dansby. Yeah, Levante David makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, two Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Harrison. Harrison's one of them. And Porter? Not Porter. All right, tell me. Lawrence Timmons. Uh, okay. Yes. I, we could have gotten that. Uh, those are all the guys like since all right. 2006. All right. Very good. Brian right. Erlach was we the got, first we gotta, ever We got to get ready. We got uh, We have to start doing – we got a very complicated show to do tomorrow, yes. and we need to do some homework in order to be ready to do it, so we got to wrap up. Plus, I got to call Jeremy now because he's got to tell me about a thing because he didn't show up to do the show today. And it might, it might be my uh, – it might be our uh, John Colson's fault somehow. Yeah. That name was thrown around in the <laughs> – I don't know what's going on there. All right, uh, here's coming up totally tubular wise. It's brought to you by the print issue of Press Box, which is still available. Tony Syracuse, a wonderful story from Dave Ginsburg, uh, featured on the cover. Go pick it up for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of those hundreds of locations around town where you find Press Box. Read it all, pressboxonline.com. Home Run Derby again is tonight on both ESPN and ESPN2, depending on if you like like the nerd broadcast of the Home Run Derby, because they're doing that on ESPN2. Abby was calling it like it was a. Uh... I would. I don't think they're bringing Berman back. They're not bringing again. Berman back. Yeah, I don't think yeah. they're doing. I don't. I, I. I saw it. I saw who was calling. I really Sorry. did. Sorry. I actually I saw who was calling this. it. Yeah, you son of a bitch. <laughs> God, I hate you. Um. Run derby. Already, already gone. I've Good already. Matchups. I've already lost. Good matchups. No one. There. I don't care. Just want to be able to say who's calling it, because I. I did know. I actually look. I don't know why, but it's it it not Carl Ravick or Carl Ravitch. Tomatoes and oh, uh, God's sake, Adolis Garcia, Randy Rosarena. Uh, ba, 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 ba. all right. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I've got it. I've what? got it. Okay. Shut up. I found the thing. Monday, home run derby. Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Perez, Buster Olney, and Alden Gonzalez okay. are the crew for that. Right. And then on ESPN two, Kevin Brown. Oh, really? Kevin Brown. Yeah, that's the one I'm ESPN watching. Two. Then I'm definitely watching that one with uh, <laughs> Jessica Mendoza and Mike uh, Petriello, who we had on not that long ago. That's the kind of nerd broadcast for that. Then I'm definitely doing that. On one. radio, it's Roxy Bernstein, John Shambi, and Doug Glanville. So there you go. That, that's your whole breakdown. It'll be on one hundred five seven. All right, uh, Wimbledon continues on both ESPN and ESPN2. The big one, Alcaraz, Berrettini coming up here in a bit on ESPN. Summer League, uh, nobody cares. USA, although Wembenyama finally, he had a terrible game on Friday, but then he played really well last night, so there's that. Uh, don't think he had any further altercations with Britney Spears. And Gosh. then tonight, uh, the USA Network for WWE Monday Night Raw at 8 as well. Anything non-sports-wise? Uh, yeah, so Netflix is doing this weird, like... We didn't uh, even talk about U.S. soccer today. Oh, oh yeah, that was a God, game. that was unbelievable. Wow. That was unbelievable. No goals to the first 88 minutes of the match. Then four in the, final in the next 30. 33. Wild. That's a great game. 
Yep. Go ahead. Um, on they're doing this uh, series docu series called Unknown. They're doing like a different topic each week. It was like pyramids last week. This week is killer robots, and they're talking about like AI and you know like how it's I don't know how it's going to learn and maybe you know okay. obviously end the human uh, yes, end the human correct. race. We're all going to die. That's one. I had a moment yesterday where I was okay. So in the futures game, they they did the autom- the automated balls and strikes, but I didn't realize the way they were doing it was. An umpire still made his call, right? And then the player was able to challenge it. By yeah, that's n- what are we doing? Just oh, let the machine yeah, call the yeah. balls and the strikes. Why are we wasting our time? They've been doing that like around AAA, haven't they? Like or, or still like challenges. still running the risk of getting calls wrong. Right. And then I realize as I'm saying that that I'm openly advocating for the machines to replace us. <laughs> like I'm openly advocating for us to lose our job to robots. But I am. That's what I'm doing. Uh, there's uh, season four of Miracle Workers on TBS. This That's is Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe. Radcliffe. I, yes. People tell me it's good. I've never watched it. I know. I've it. never, I never even heard of it. But it's on season four, yeah. and it looks uh, it looks pretty funny. Post-apocalypse. TBS has done way better. Like, you don't realize, because you didn't comedies, watch The Detour. The Detour was mm. perfection. was one of the best shows uh, in recent memory. So they've done well, but I've just never watched this one. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, the rest on American Ninja Warrior, Bachelorette sure. is back. All and right. And uh, The Price is Right at Night. It's the final episode at Bob Barker's studio. Oh. Yeah. Where are they moving? Good question. Okay. I'm sure they'll address it. I, I got to tune in, CBS. No, I will not. All right, thanks. Either that or the Home Run Derby. <laughs> or catching up on Shameless. Actually, I've got trivia, uh, important trivia matchup mm, tonight, okay. so I won't be able to do any of these things. Uh, Grant, where are you on social? 20G to Vivo on Instagram. Very good. Give him a follow there. Next Monday, he can produce the show? Yeah. All right. I think so. Next Monday, you're running the show. It. Got it? Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, thanks today to not Jeremy Kahn. Thanks not at all, that son of a bitch. But thanks instead to Tim Corbin, baseball coach at Vanderbilt, the great Ken Singleton, as well as uh, Kyle Glazer from Baseball America. We'll get all that up in the greatest hits section of the. Oh, my God. It's so good. Tab at glennclarkradio.com. Uh, tomorrow, we are going down to College Park. And we are setting up the show from the Medill School, the sports journalism school, where they are hosting a summer camp. And we're just going to do a show. They wanted to let the campers sort of see how we do the show and all that. And so hopefully everything will work. Fingers crossed. We can barely get the, our studio to work. So who knows if it's actually going to work or not. I got to incorporate. I might even have to run home and get another computer that I forgot to bring with me to see if it'll work because I forgot we got to replace that computer. Um, the one in the middle. The, the, oh, we can't bring yeah, the, we right, can't right, bring yeah, the desktop yeah, with yeah, us, right. so we need another computer. And I had one that I was intending to use, and then I forgot, like an idiot. So we'll deal with that. Uh, but we are packing up shop. We're going down to College Park. Do we have anybody that's scheduled to join us? Uh, no, no one locked in. Right All right, now. we gotta really yeah. make we gotta make but, phone calls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we are we are playing with fire because we have no ability to do anything else. It's just us. So we gotta lock that up today. We are thinking there'll be some various University of Maryland athletics folks that might be stopping by during the course of the broadcast tomorrow and uh, joining us as we are broadcasting from College Park. So that's the deal. Um, A friend of mine, uh, former Press Box editor Caitlin Wilson, is the assistant director of the Medill School. And so, um, you know, wanted to do this and we're looking forward to it. We should have a fun day down there. So that's the deal for tomorrow. Thanks to everybody at Press Box, all of our great sponsors and partners, including... Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, Glory Days Grill, Dorchester County, Bowie Bay Sox, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, All-American Lacrosse, the Baltimore Orioles, Birdland Sports, Easy Pass MD, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday night. 
Go Adley Rutschman, sure. Duke sucks.